Hello and welcome to the third thrilling episode. This is getting good, actually. <laughs> that you call each one the blank I'm... thrilling episode? Oh, did I, I forget what I said in the second episode, even though I was just editing it like 20 minutes ago, but <laughs> I... I can I can use some comic book esque alliteration. That would, that would be good. Senses shattering anyway, third episode. It's not really alliterative, but uh, welcome to the greatest many are calling new <laughs> comics podcast. Got the runs. I'm here with the comics Schwab, David. David, how are you today? I am well. I feel that. Uh... We should stop calling me the comics Schwab before <laughs> someone actually asks me trivia questions and I'm unable to answer them because mm. uh, your you level know? of Schwabitude is yeah. not as high as we would have people I, believe. I don't think so. At least like the Schwab knows like crazy stuff, right? Yeah, the Schwab the Schwab knows a lot. It's fair. Like I I definitely don't think I have a Schwab level <laughs> like the, encyclopedic knowledge of comics or before even before he was. Before he was like the TV personality, <laughs> the titular the Schwab, Schwab. <laughs> he was like the head of ESPN's stats and information bureau. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> that'll do it. That's not quite. That's not quite the level you're punching at. No, I have like whole decades where I've read like fewer than two hundred issues. <laughs> that's pathetic. Uh, you're you're more of like a stump the Schwab contestant level. Uh, yeah, I think I think that would be closer. All right, oh, we'll call you the, sh- the, comics <laughs> the Schwab Testament from now on. <laughs> the Schwab Testament of comics. <laughs> the comics second place on Stump the Schwab, and the first place guy didn't actually end up stumping the Schwab either. <laughs> that will be you. Uh, but we are here to discuss the final chapter, not in our miniseries on Scott McCloud, but the final chapter in the annals of his first published work, Zot. And and what a finish it is, truly. Truly. I wanted to start because we we have had the running thread of the uh character poll. Mm-hmm. So I want to uh, I want to jump in here. Uh so this is as depicted in the final issue of Zot, mm-hmm. despite well we'll talk about this in a bit, but not not really build as the final issue of Zot, but here is the characters list and you can react in real time. So Hall of Fame, Jenny and Zot. Good, yes. First place by one point with 238, 9 Jack 9. Oh, a squeaker. Second place with 237 is Deco. Uh huh. Third place is Woody. Hey, Hot Woody. Hot Woody has made a heavy resurgence. Uh, for Max. Wow, really? Yeah. yeah. He, so not appeared until the final issue in like nine issues and the like eight previous issues before that i would say like borderline tertiary character yeah he there was some strange stuff between i looked at the one in issue 28 and there there were some notable changes since then uh number five the dreeps no (laughs) what are you talking about but you should be happy actually because in issue 28 the dreeps were number three oh uh, number six, Butch. Not surprising okay. that he has fallen down the rankings a little, I feel yep. like, given his characterization in these last several <laughs> issues. Uh, number seven, another one of your favorites, Floyd. Oh, And okay, number eight, the Devolutionaries. Wow. that not that a big comeback for them? Yeah, they were like around like 15, I think. They had like one vote for something. Or that maybe that was the pie in the face. 
That was, yeah, also that, I think that was like back in the, you know, the early days. Yeah. People just missed them so much. Mm-hmm. Um, Prince Drufus, number nine. Wow, that also feels like quite a come up for uh, my man Drufus. Yeah, he does get talked about in the letters a lot, so it makes sense. He's, he's been, he's been his, in the conversation. Yeah, his, his death issue is pretty, um, like I, I feel like a good, a good like watershed character moment. It's the kind of thing that like makes someone stick in people's memories. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Vic number ten, who I mean, having finished it, Vic's fine. Yep. Uh, Bellows eleventh. Hmm. Terry twelfth. So wow, Bellows over Zybox. That surprises me a little Zybox bit because they have quite a ways down. Zybox wow. is sixteenth. Peabody. Sarah, number 14. Wow. What? A character who only ever appears in someone's imagination. <laughs> that is that is bizarre. So wait, sorry, is Terry, Peabody, and Sarah? Yeah, they're 12 through 14. Okay. Uh, Brandy, number 15. Zybox, number 16. Ronnie, number 17. Barbara Alexander Weaver, number 18. Oh, that's Jenny's mom? Yeah. Okay. Janet, who I wanted to talk about last episode, and we never got to her. Oh, she's she's like the uh, accomplice in the de-evolutionary issue from the like Earth stories. No, she is in like uh, in what, what is it called? Racing to ninety nine. Oh yeah, getting to ninety nine. Oh, yeah. she she's like one of the kids who hacks into the system and helps him. He basically, yeah, she like she shows up for like one page. Like he like <laughs> he like basically like gets a reprieve, and then it's, it's when he's knocked unconscious. And Janet is the person who wakes him up and is like, hey, I'm Janet. He's like, hey, <laughs> oh, right, right, later. right. When he like knocks into the tree. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Weird, weird vote getter. I like, I like Janet. That's why I wanted to talk about her. She's cool. <laughs> His glasses. Uh-huh. Uh, number 20, Sergeant Chow, who is, uh, Susie's sister or cousin. Cousin. Yeah. Number 21, a tie between Spike and the pole police who have made oh. a recent, uh, resurgence in the rankings as <laughs> Wait, well. I thought they were called the pole patrol. Uh, I think you're thinking of Paw Patrol. Mm, that's possible. <laughs> Possible. Uh, <laughs> number 22, The Blotch. Okay. Number 23, Dalit and Burbax, who I don't remember who these people uh, are. They are like two background characters from the first 10 issues who occasionally like show their faces. Mm. <laughs> they're like, they're like people standing around on the street who are like, check it out, Dalit. It's that guy Zot. Right. I can't believe it. Yes. Yeah, more people I don't know. Uh, Phoebe the Penguin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Chet Barker. Oh, he's the news oh, guy. He, yeah, he's the, he's, he's like funny. Zot's, uh, he's on the Zot beat. Yeah. Uh, Sue Gallo. Hmm. Not ringing any bells. Is that, that's not Susie, is it? I don't, it kind of looks like her, but I don't think so. It might Again, be. not, not thinking a lot Actually, of bells no, for me. I think here. it is. Um, Pam. Oh, pa- Pam. Uh, mm-hmm. Harry Singer's sister. <laughs> Elizabeth. Ernie Cortez, the Queen, okay. and Ronnie's mother. Hold on, <laughs> Elizabeth is ahead of Ernie Cortez. No, they're they're all tied for uh, well, twenty sixth with three. Does points. Elizabeth have three lines of dialogue? Who? Oh, Elizabeth, right, Spike's her. sister. Yeah, <laughs> I I remember her, but in the picture in the character poll, she's like her face is like turning away from the camera. <laughs> <laughs> like you see her in profile and you don't see her eyes. Okay, interesting. I mean, Elizabeth seems cool. I. I'd, I'd like to get to know her. I guess. I can't wait. Who else did you say? So it's it's a tie between Pam, Elizabeth, Ernie Cortez, the Queen, and Ronnie's mother. What? How did <laughs> how did Ronnie's mother and Elizabeth get the same number of votes? As... I think it's just a bunch. I think it's just people who put random people in second place. I, I imagine because so. they all have three points. 
the kid in the Wolverine t-shirt is has sole possession of 27th with two points. Big get. And then tied for 28th is uh, Josh Hacker, Zorbim, Borlock, Woody's father and mother, Ronnie's father, Sirius the third, the New Yorker, and George. <laughs> Someone voted for Ronnie's dad? <laughs> yeah, Ronnie's dad is cool. He hates white people. <laughs> he doesn't hate white people. No, that's but true. I wouldn't say he's presented in the kind of light where you see him and you're like, oh, yeah, that's my favorite character. He's not so bad, relatively speaking. There, there are worse parents in the in the run, certainly. Certainly. Um, I, I do appreciate whoever voted for the New Yorker, the guy who <laughs> reluctantly helps save uh, the guy's <laughs> life. Yes, the stab victim. Yes. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to update you on that because you said that in your collection they you don't have these. So Yes, that is correct. Um, when you said you wanted to start off with something, I thought you were going to say that you wanted to talk about covers again because I oh, think well, that... Oh, I do have my the return of my classic segment, What's Going On Here? I, yeah, I was going to say that I think the cover for number uh, 2028 is the first of these. T- yeah, it's 28 to 36, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I think from like a draftsman slash like aesthetic standpoint, the close up on Jenny on the cover of number 28 is yeah. like by far the best cover art that we've seen from McLeod to this point. I went looking back and I think the the last time that we had a cover that was like kind of a close up on somebody was maybe in like number 20 which i'm pretty sure chuck austin did the art for the cover as well maybe not yeah though. number 21 as well is like the zot sells out cover um that like jenny is like sort of close up on but like if you compare jenny on number 21 to jenny in number 28 it feels like quite a quite a stark difference to me yeah i really like the way she's drawn this i had a note of that that it looks like a good melding of sort of, I think he's, he sort of has like the color style, which appears on a lot of the covers and then like the way he draws the characters in the issues. And I feel like the, this issue 28 cover is a good melding of the two styles. Yes. In general, I think the art like really looks really good in this run. Oh, that's funny you say that because I feel that it really kind of deteriorates towards the well, end. Well, it's, it's definitely, it's less detailed. It's more of like a sketchy style. Like, and I think in general, like, he's just like fitting more panels on the page. Like, mm-hmm. I, I was looking at like, even like the very first page, um, or like the, you know, the first main page of the issue 28, Jenny's Day, has like mm-hmm. 15 panels on it, <laughs> which is just like not really the way we've seen him. It's not the way we've seen him tell stories, really. Like, I, I feel no. like in this, in this, in these issues, there's a lot more of like using like an insert shot, of yeah, something definitely. to tell the story, and that is like, um, that's like big time understanding comics stuff. Like, he has like a whole chapter about like the different ways that that like the ways time works in comics, where he talks about like using insert shots or like. Yeah, we'll we'll get to it when we get to understanding comics. But I think throughout these series issues as a whole, he's kind of expanding his storytelling methods. Uh, mm-hmm. Not just in terms like obviously there's a huge tonal shift, like insane tonal shift, even yeah, just like well, yeah. <laughs> twenty seven to twenty eight. Um, it's hilarious how little Zot is actually in these issues. <laughs> yeah, and like it's it, like there's even less of like Zot as anything other than 
Jenny's love interest. Yeah, uh, and like especially when you get to the point where like he's not even really wearing the costume anymore. He's he's just got like a button down shirt on, like open to show the lightning bolt. It's yeah. like okay, so we've like totally given up on <laughs> on the Zot stuff. Yeah, well, but but then but I do feel like there's still like there are still things. Yeah, that there, are there's zotty. like yeah, definitely, and especially like, in a couple of issues mainly. Yeah, but uh, but what I'm getting at is more in terms of like. It it seems like he's making a more concerted effort for like some show don't tell storytelling as mm-hmm. opposed to like especially early Zot. Um, I I think even things like he's he's never been like the most subtle storyteller. So like in the Brandy issue, yeah. like obviously her mother is an alcoholic, but nobody ever like says. I I feel like if it was like in number nine, you would have had Vic being like. Don't hey Zach, don't you see she's an alcoholic? <laughs> Whereas <laughs> yeah, like. He- like I said, it's not it's not subtle, but no one at any point makes says anything. Uh, yeah, says the word, or even like really makes any allusion to Brandy's mom like having a problem. Like the one kid kind of like makes makes, makes the, the reference. Yeah, the joke about her name being Brandy. Yeah, but that's like it. Yeah. Well, there there is a part early on where like it's like oh mom's dr and then like they get cut off. But- right. Right. But generally speaking, yeah, you're right. I think I think you're right that he does tend to uh, less so in this sort of run, but uh, but it does still happen. He tends to include text where he doesn't really need to. Like, there's someone wrote a letter about it, which I thought was a good point in uh, issue 30, which is the one from the perspective of Jenny's mom, where it finishes with uh, her like burning the leaf and smelling it. Mm-hmm. And and great issue. It, it is a, well they're all great issues really they are great <laughs> in this issues. part um <laughs> but yeah but it's it's her there's a narration box of her saying oh that smell oh and then yeah. it does it does finish with with no text but like it's like we didn't need that you could have just had them be empty boxes it's the whole true. way through yeah it's it's definitely true that he's uh yeah i'm i'm just looking at the page right now uh and yeah at least the, the that smell box is like totally unnecessary but i think you could even get rid of the o yeah and i think that that's maybe just like especially being the writer artist like yeah he just doesn't have like a max level of confidence in either one of them i guess Mm -hmm. or like you know he 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 needs he feels the need to double down and include both art and text that sort of enforces his point yeah um but but you can tell pretty quickly that the art style has changed because (laughs) It in the in the first page of the Jenny's Day issue, there's the there's like a happy sun mm-hmm. and a tweeting bird, which I I liked a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I think the issue we were just talking about, maybe we can we can go through the the issues one at a time at some yeah, point. I almost but... feel like with this, we, it makes sense to just go issue by issue because yeah. it's so unserialized at this point. Yeah, and the the I feel like the art quality fluctuates wildly <laughs> seeming to, it seems to depend on whether or not he feels like a crunch to meet his deadlines or not but um between pages sometimes almost like if it's a more art reliant page like if you look at the first page of the autumn issue issue 30 like there's a lot of detail and a lot of shading especially like it seems like he's a lot more comfortable or at least more experimental in the way he draws black and white now which yeah. obviously makes sense since he's you know, not coming from a black and white background necessarily. Yeah. And he, well, he talks in, um, in the, the like compilation that I've got about, um, 
how he like totally blew his deadline on that issue because he spent so much time on like the neighborhood scenes where like not not any of the ones really where there's like a lot of dialogue or anything like that but like like if you look at the second page of that issue where it's like jenny and zot flying down mm-hmm. like that's that's a pretty yeah. detailed page it's an immaculately um, rendered bungalow yeah and then there's another one i was thinking of like yeah her flashback where she remembers her like this the shot of her dad lighting the leaf is a really detailed shot as well there's one like the shot of her them them in the like when she's driving them to the movie the establishing shot of the car going down the road when you look at like the number of lines <laughs> yeah. that are on the page he's like that yeah that like cross hatching is like a, an insanely time consuming thing that i can only imagine how long that page took him to, <laughs> to put yeah. together um but yeah we'll we'll talk about that issue more when we uh when we get back to it we can go through them one at a time yeah and there, there's even i i like that ronnie is like you know, obviously Ronnie has his own issue, but then a lot of the time Ronnie is just a vehicle for him to like make jokes about comics. Oh yeah, well, well, I'll talk about Ronnie a bit more when we get to uh, get to the Ronnie issue, I think. But yeah, so let's let's dive in. Um, so number twenty eight is Jenny's day, and like we've discussed, the tonal shift here from the last issue is the one where like Deco and Nine Jack Nine and the Blotch and everybody are at at the New Year's party. <laughs> right. Which is insane to think back on. It's it's crazy how like in eight issues or nine issues you go from being like, ah yes, my good friends Deco and Nine Jack Nine to being like, I can't even believe that, that they were like characters in this comic. Yeah, I can't believe that this comic had a super villains in it. <laughs> and not just like one mugger one time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But so I think like this issue the of this like grouping, which I think he calls the Earth stories. Yeah, I think it's pretty comfortably the weakest of them because it's so much about establishing the new status quo and like introducing the new supporting cast, which is like, you know, he's completely wiped out most of the characters who've been in the comic up to this point and has to has to bring in these characters who previously appeared on like one page and now they're the new main characters yeah we see ronnie spike and elizabeth at um and george at woody's dungeons and dragons game where they're playing as superheroes but that's pretty much the only time we see them before that yeah and and like spike isn't even called spike at that point he's like still bob he's called bob yes which i think (laughs) like is that just like Scott McCloud just deciding he wants to give him a different name because even Jenny is like we're calling him Spike now for no reason <laughs> yeah I think uh, I think it was or maybe he was just like Bob I don't know kind of a goofy name yeah I, I feel like Bob is the kind of name you give to someone who will not be returning in future issues <laughs> and he's still like easily the least developed of any of that group and then we also it also introduces Brandy who becomes uh, a pretty important character yeah, uh, yeah, the the whole game. I feel like at one point he must have planned to to do like an an Elizabeth issue for sure, maybe a like Spike and Elizabeth issue about their like family. Um and I think he must have been planning to do a George issue. Like I think he thought that he was going to do an issue for every like member of the crew. Yeah. And and just ultimately like didn't run out of time exactly, but was like I would rather just wrap up the series and so we don't we don't get them, but yeah, the the way that like 
they have kind of the undercurrents always always said to me that he kind of had something in his back pocket that he was like i've got a george issue like that i'm i'll maybe get to yeah i mean yeah george is also like i mean like not to <laughs> not to oversimplify george but he doesn't really seem we don't really hear much about him other than that he's gay which kind of gets folded into both terry and woody's stories yeah and uh, and that he, like, deliberately gets Ds. Yes, and his straight Ds. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's, like, yeah, that maybe that's sort of the thing, is that those people just sort of get folded into, like, one page in the last yeah, issue. Exactly. Because every we do see, like, a little snippet from everyone during yeah. that issue. That was that was kind of the sense I got, was that those those pages kind of were, like, the last little remnants of, like, some some plot outline he had for an 18-page George story or an 18-page Elizabeth story. Yeah. Um, the thing that really stuck out to me in this issue, like, pretty much right off the bat, is that, well, the, the issue is sort of bookended by Jenny having these dreams about Zot's world, which I thought was interesting. Like, that's basically what Zot's world becomes in these stories, is just, like, a dream world where you know it's it's a it, it feels more like an imagined utopia rather than a place that yeah like zod is actually from yeah yeah and and it's yeah i i agree he definitely shifts zod's world from being like any kind of real place like really into like more of a stand-in for like fiction <laughs> yeah for, like for superhero Fantasy. stories yeah and like you see the different characters engage with it on different levels of as far as like they they've like seen it and fully believe it to like ronnie ronnie doesn't believe like anything about it he doesn't even really believe that zot like fights crime until he's like literally in the newspaper and doesn't yeah. believe that he's from another dimension until he's like standing in that dimension and even then is like this can't be real yeah this this issue feels to me like a lot of like kind of working out the new tone and and yeah just just trying to like get to where he wants to be because like the fact that like zot is still in his full costume in this one and like just walks up to them at the lunch table wearing like his superhero outfit and is like room for one more um is like he he talks about it sometimes in uh like the the commentaries that he writes at the back uh, of each issue for this collection that he's like, I was very happy working on these issues because it was like so clearly what I wanted to be doing. But I would like, I look at them now and I'm like, why? What's up with that guy in the superhero <laughs> costume? Yeah, why is Zot in the? <laughs> and I think, yeah, yeah, as you see him kind of like work through that with Zot uh, eventually, like like we talked about ditching the full costume look. Yeah, it definitely. I think Zot having the invisibility gadget is another thing. Where oh it's yeah, just like, that he abandons very quickly, except for like one plot point later on. Yeah, it's basically just like, well, Zot has to be in this, and he can't be in school, so he's invisible now. Yeah. The the other thing, this is not really related to the issue, but it seems like the world of Zot is like relegated to the dimension ten and a half backups <laughs> because all of those are still. It's really funny to read those because like. You know, like they're still they're still humorous, obviously, but the it's just funny that they're like parodies of what Zot used to be. <laughs> and so it's like it's like 
in the back of issue 20 it's like oh deco's here and like it's doing all this crazy <laughs> stuff like the the story of the deco of the backup is like what if deco had to get a real job oh is that the, the image you sent me of him saying uh no, don't touch was, my toot toot <laughs> that was a piece of fan art which was uh the the love child of zybox and deco is zydeco <laughs> Which is a great joke. Uh, okay, I do like that. But yes, I, I think I'm looking at a page that I see as very um, much the marriage of kind of the two the two styles that he's working between. The like very light lightness of old Zot versus the like increasingly a kind of adult tone of these issues, even though they are dealing with like a much more mundane subject matter is the, the page of her French class, which like really from like a, a I mean, not that there's like a plot to this issue, but <laughs> it's like a total, just like one page gag where Jenny's narration says, I've had six years of French class so far. Every French teacher I have ever had has been cheerful, kind, helpful, and enthusiastic. I've always done the assignments just as I was told to, and I've always gotten A's and B's. I swear to God, I don't know a word of French. <laughs> it's like, a great that's, joke. It is a great joke. And like, that's the page and everything else is, is what you're talking about. Just like insert shots of like the decor of the classroom and like the students like reciting the, the, the like French phrases that they're learning and things like that. Well, to be fair, we also see the laughing cow. We do see the laughing cow, although it seems that uh, seems to be in French. Le vache comique. I, I see an L with an apostrophe. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the classic sign of French. Uh, but yes, yeah, I know what you mean. And also, like, yeah, in terms of, like, I think he also just sort of, like, casually drops, like, a more adult leaning into it. Like, the fact that, like... In this issue, like, we see Jenny in her underwear, which is just, like, not something that would have happened in the first ten issues. Yeah. His interest has just changed, and his tone is sort of following that, like, even in ways that aren't as, like, directly conscious as what the stories are about. Um, but this issue also ends with Jenny and Zot doing a little kiss, which, you know, and, uh, foreshadowing. The, the, the next issue, <laughs> it's, I believe, starts with a little, a little makeout sesh. Funny, funny, like offhand Edie Brickle the reference in this uh, issue as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who is that. <laughs> she was like married to Paul Simon for a little while. Oh, okay. slash is married to Paul Simon? Question mark. Well, Hold I'll on, do let some. me let me look this. Up. <laughs> like singer, singer songwriter, uh, who like broke out in the late eighties. It's funny. He says he says in his like back notes that he like threw it in there and was like she had like just put out her first record and i wasn't sure if she was like gonna stick but as i write this in 2008 she just put out another record so <laughs> i guess so um there's also some robocop 2 talk <laughs> which yeah I thought was good um <laughs> ronnie leaning forward and saying i think robocop 2 could be a significant film should be like my social media <laughs> avatar <laughs> everything <laughs> Uh, have you seen RoboCop 2? I have not. <laughs> have you seen RoboCop? I have not. Oh, you should watch RoboCop. I should a, I should probably watch RoboCop. That's a high quality work. Have you seen the video uh, from our RoboCop remake? No. Um, well, actually, I won't even bother explaining it because <laughs> it requires a slight amount of RoboCop context, but, uh -huh. uh, but you should look into that. I'll send it to you later. Um, so any updates on Edie Brickle? Uh, I believe she is still married to Paul Simon, and they have three children together, Adrian, Cheers. Lulu, and Gabriel. 
Uh, okay, good. Yeah, so this issue, like I said, not not like a ton to... Uh... Yeah, we've, we've already seen uh, stuff from Jenny's perspective. Like, we've already kind of experienced this a version of this issue. Like, we're familiar with Jenny's internal life. We're familiar with how Jenny sort of sees the school. And so, given that the other issues, like, are pretty much the first time we get stories that aren't from Jenny's perspective, yeah. it just feels a little more like... Like we've seen it before. Yeah, I will say uh, the one the one plot that kind of moves forward a little bit in this issue is the like deterioration of her parents' marriage, where we learn that they are uh, like in a trial separation. And I gotta say, tough uh, tough look for Barbara Alexander Weaver, uh, <laughs> <laughs> bad mouthing Jenny on the phone to her Calling dad. Her kids. <laughs> well, she she calls them little monsters. That's it's not true. that bad. Still tough tough stuff uh for your daughter to be standing right behind you when you say that <laughs> yeah especially your daughter of parents who are getting divorced yeah um yeah so do anything anything else about this no. like, like, i think we pro- we pretty much got into what it is yeah no we can we can talk looking for crime um which is uh, like an issue long response to the criticism <laughs> yeah. of his uh <laughs> his last uh like zot fights crime in new york city issue yes very much so and also uh zot is dabbing on the cover <laughs> zot allegedly dabbing on the cover i can neither confirm nor deny at this uh i think if you look juncture. at it you'll see <laughs> here i go and he is in fact dabbing <laughs> hitting the dab uh, if you prefer uh yeah i think i think he's supposed to be like shielding his eyes from the sun i think to, yes like, i think he's like looking he's like looking down at the city below while yeah. also doing like a standard arm out flying pose yes this this issue uh like we said begins with hot and heavy uh jenny Onza action that uh is sure to pay off in a later issue and we get a, f- a good look at the inside of Zot's spatial distortion box, spatial distortion box, however. I think it's pretty spatial. It also, it it foreshadows, and I, I even noticed this, like, in the process of reading, or does, oh, he does talk about it in this same issue, but the the shot of the box closing, where it's, like, Jenny's midriff. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, Zot talks about that, like, one page yeah. later. I thought and, it was an And is, issue, like, but... tempted to use his spy cam. <laughs> <laughs> well, Yes. <laughs> But he makes the right decision. I will say, uh, justice for Peabody, who is quote-unquote Charlie. <laughs> well, Charlie makes some dinner. I don't care for Charlie at all. Bring back Peabody. Charlie uh, also, like, this is, like, the only time we ever see Charlie yeah, or really ever no, see there's no further box Charlie or anything talk. about it. Yeah. Well, they go into his box again later. Yes, they certainly do. <laughs> Um, but it's the only time that we see inside of it. Yes, certainly. So yeah, this, this issue, like, like I said, very direct response to criticism where he goes to New York again to look for crime and is like completely unable to find any. <laughs> yes. Which is a very, I, I, I like that this is the idea about like, it's not, it's not about him. Like he could do just like a better version of what he did in issue. I think it's issue 11, 11 or 12. Yeah. Um, where it's about, you know, he tries to fight crime, but he doesn't really understand exactly how our world operates. And so he kind of like flubs it up and gets in trouble. But it's more about like how crime and like how like evil doesn't really reveal itself in a way that is like conducive to being a superhero. 
Yes, uh, he learns about racism, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which his his world is so uh, post racism that he didn't realize when people were talking about being white that they <laughs> yeah. were referring they, to his when skin they called color. him white boy. <laughs> he thought it was just just a phrase. <laughs> I thought it was slang. Uh, yeah, like what I have here is like it's it's kind of it's a pretty primitive, uh, a pretty eighties addressing of racism, um, but but I do think that like. He does basically acknowledge white privilege, which I think is, you know, that's a good start <laughs> yep. for for a 1980s comic. Um, yeah, where he basically, like, you know, he has the classic, like, I noticed that people with lighter skin were in yeah. the nicer areas and the people with darker skin go into different places. Yes, it's true. Uh, but at the same time, like... I feel like you would see that in a movie today, just like without the voiceover. And it would yes. be praised basically to like have it have it represented visually which is like tough to do in a black and white comic yeah i didn't even realize that i didn't realize that ronnie was black until his dad was like (laughs) yeah (laughs) why don't you hang out with other black kids yeah cool voice by the way thank you um it feels i'm okay with it considering that it's from the 80s and also like i think it's you know it's aspiring to something pretty above its pay grade or at least above what we've seen out of what this comic is at this point and so i'm i'm pretty okay with it Mm -hmm. yeah i think the most effective section of this issue by far is is when he recruits the like bystander to help him with the guy who's been stabbed those like three pages Mm -hmm. between when he when he finds the guy and when they're like hanging out outside the hospital well yeah quote unquote the new yorker (laughs) (laughs) has a smoke yeah, especially like that, that, I guess it's the second last page where, uh, where Zot just keeps smiling until the other guy also smiles. Yeah, that's, a, <laughs> that's like a, a great very, little beat. Yeah, very cute page. Uh, very like, this is what Zot is still about. Uh, incredible final panel of Zot speculating that the South may have won the Civil yes, War. That's... that's why the world is the way it is. <laughs> Yes, those those two pages are really great. Another thing I found really effective is the part where someone is like literally yelling for help and he can't find them. Um, yeah, I, I felt like that was a pretty maybe maybe I'm overreading, but I feel like it was a pretty direct reference to like Kitty Genovese, uh, which is also something that gets referenced in Watchmen as well, right? Yeah, um, it's like like Rorschach's secret origin is that he like hears about Kitty Genovese and uh, or Genovese and and like. Yeah, it's it's closely linked. It's closely linked to like Rorschach becoming a crime fighter somehow. I right. can't remember the details. Yeah, so that that definitely felt like a, a, a similar thing. I think I think in a lot of ways, like there are parts of this that feel sort of like the anti Watchmen. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, it doesn't feel as quite as closely linked as when um, you know in issue eleven he like gets beaten up by that crowd or by by that gang and uh, and the crowd is like just standing watching him i feel like this this particular beat is still he's still kind of fixated on the like i did a bad job of representing yes. what it would be like to try and fight crime and now i'm going to show something that's a little more like grounded in that like he heard someone scream but it's like a huge city and and he he only hears her yell one time and then spends like ages looking and and just like can't uh can't figure out where it came from yeah the other thing is that uh this this issue has a very robust letters page which i know you are not privy to no 
So basically, so do you remember last episode I was telling you about the letter that George Green wrote, where he was sort of taking Scott to task about like oh, yeah, basically yeah, yeah. like not presenting things as like plainly enough or like you know not quite right. He's the guy who complains that like Vic is a token and like if Drufus is going to be gay, then you should have there yes. should have been more about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that saga continues here. Pretty much all the letters are basically either responses to George Green. And then there's a long letter from George Green as well. Um, and so I do think that that it was partially like him responding to that. Like, and it, and it wasn't hit George Green's letter that was criticizing the way he wrote in issue 11. But no, no, he uh, he talks about um, like another another comics pro like wrote an article for like a trade magazine that just like shredded him. <laughs> right. Yeah, and he sort of he. I don't think he really changes his mind here. Um, I'll I'll get into his final letter that we see later. But yeah, he he basically says like, you know, I appreciate you printing it, but I don't really agree with you. Like, I think you have like more of this responsibility. He kind of rambles. It feels a little more less focused than his first issue was. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, there's a part where he talks about how. <laughs> If Drufus had, in the course of his escape, located Miss Teen Sirius 4 and called Zodervik to help the two of them, she might have been very grateful to Drufus for his role. Drufus was still young enough that an experience like this could have attra- attracted him to heterosexuality for years to come. Especially if men get as much societal approval on Sirius 4 for impressing beautiful women as they get on Earth. Then, of course, there's the other scenario, where Vic saves Drufus's life, and Drufus is thereafter a hero worshipper of studly black men. Oh, life and boy. death situations near the beginning of sexual awareness can have profound consequences on adolescent behavior and self-image, irrespective of underlying psychological predispositions. So, uh, <laughs> George Green going a little far afield yeah, here. George, George Green getting uh, going going off. George Green going rogue. My read on it is basically like it's. I think it's good that. George is sort of encouraging Scott McCloud to sort of engage more seriously with the political ideas. And obviously it's something that Scott McCloud, you know, regardless of whether he fully agreed with what George Green was saying, he certainly heard it. And that I think affected the things he wrote further on here. But yes, I, I think ultimately I would agree with Scott that like, it is a comic book. Like it's not supposed to be the first and last word on anything and so it's not really his responsibility to like spell things out for people in that way. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I found it very interesting that people pretty much we're still having the same conversation today, like mm-hmm. about representation of minority characters and characters of different sexualities and putting political content into work. Like mm-hmm. really, we, we, have, we have not evolved past this other than the one guy who has written, who writes multiple letters talking about how like terrible it is that he allowed Drufus to be gay because being gay is terrible. Mm. So he, he writes one letter and then later in the Terry issue, he publishes a second letter. That's like, Oh, he, uh, I think he references this in it. Like Scott McCloud writes about it in his, uh, in his like commentary on that issue. So he, the letter he publishes in the Terry issue is him talking about how it's like, even after you were putting all the, this like liberal propaganda into your comics, I really <laughs> liked issue 30. And then, so he prints that in the Terry issue and is like, thanks for keeping up with us. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think he does then write again, basically just being like, 
it sucks that you put gay people in this comic because being gay is bad. <laughs> and just like, okay. Uh, yeah, so he he writes in uh, his like commentary on that issue, reaction was mostly positive at the time. I was preaching to the converted in the progressive independent comics scene. One of the exceptions, a longtime reader with religious objections to homosexuality, wrote an earnest, strongly worded objection to the story, but then kept reading the series and commenting, which I thought was awfully charitable of him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that's pretty much what he said. And like, yeah, he, he writes again, I think, responding to issue 33. And then Scott's just like, uh, thanks for keeping with us. It's it's like you provide like valuable input <laughs> and then like writes like a full page just being like no <laughs> uh but yes uh autumn the first i would say the first issue basically of any kind where neither jenny nor zot are the point of view character we instead get mrs barbara alexander weaver and this is like i think even of the 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 next section of issues which are all not really jenny and zot issues no they're pretty much all from the perspective of one minor character or another yeah this one this one still feels the most distinct i think maybe because it's it's like the only one who's not a peer of jenny there's just like a, a sort of like tone about this issue mm-hmm. that is is very different it's like the nostalgia piece i think that is like really heavy in this issue Whereas, like, most of the other issues are about characters who are too young to, like, really be nostalgic about anything and are, are like, really just kind of, like, waking up to the the reality of the the problems that are going to be part of their lives, like, long term. Yeah, it's, it's also, it's a very prosaic issue. Um, it has a lot of narration. Yeah. Uh, it has flashbacks in it. It has like just like like the conversation. It, it doesn't really feel like Woody should is like mature enough to be having this conversation with Mrs. Weaver about like memory is a funny thing, you know. Like mm-hmm. we used to burn leaves in this town. Like it doesn't really feel like Woody is like up to that level. But like yeah, it has characters having those kinds of conversations and just I think yeah, like you said, the fact that it's coming from a totally different perspective, not only a, a different perspective than we see in the comics, but like. I think it's Scott McCloud writing in the in the voice of someone who is very dissimilar to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, he probably sees something there with him being fairly fairly recently married. Yeah, he says he says about it in uh, these commentary pages. Uh, oh yeah, this is funny. The, the words he uses to describe it: more tone poem than story. Autumn was about as far from a typical superhero story as anything I'd done to that point with the exception of some weird little mini-comics. Looking back on it now, it's a clearly self-conscious attempt on a young genre writer's part to step up to quote-unquote real writing while still clinging to his security blanket. Brackets. The guy in the spandex costume. Yeah. Yeah, That's. I don't think that's an unreasonable read even. Like, I think it's really well done, but I think yeah. it, it, it does, you know, it's it's fits and starts. Yeah, there's a, there's also like he talks about the utility of Zot for this story because of the like kind of Peter Pan-ish quality of him that he's kind of like a good like he's he's sort of a character who's based in nostalgia already. His whole origin is about like the nostalgia for like the retrofuturist vision of of the future and how that has like not developed. Yeah, he's also he's a really good character to like bounce ideas off of because he is so naive and so like his worldview is very simple. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think that sort of using him to explain and reckon with more complex ideas is is something that gets used a lot in this series of issues. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> There's like that panel with where where right after she's like told the story to the kids, like remembering when they used to burn the leaves and talking about like how she never thinks about stuff like that anymore. Woody is like, I know I used to think about big, uh, all that big <laughs> <Yeah>. important stuff <laughs> a lot more than I do these days. I bet you don't think about that stuff that much either, Zot. And Zot's just like, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Zot as sort of yes, it, it's it's less Zot as a hero and more Zot as an outsider or someone who just has a very different worldview than most of the characters. In yeah, the book. I I find him like I think in the last section of issues I described him as somewhat like manic pixie dream boyish uh, in terms of his his like role in Jenny's world. These issues really that's like to the max because. Like, literally, his only function in some of these stories is to, like, solve people's problems or, like, bring them, like, a moment of happiness uh, or, like be be the yeah be the one to like (laughs) ease their ease their suffering he's like doesn't really have any character to speak of in a lot of them because he's so he definitely does not he's so background except for when he like comes into focus for like three or four pages to like make everything better for a second i think you know scott mcleod talks about how he's sort of like clinging to zot and i think he starts using zot more as in the same way that zot's world is kind kind of became a symbol of a future that, you know, people wanted to achieve. I think Zot himself sort of becomes a symbol of a different type of world that we might want to create for ourselves rather than being his own fully formed character. Yeah, I think that I don't really have too much to say uh, about this issue. Like the general, uh, like, storyline of... Uh, or, or I guess like the, the thread that runs through the issue is like the dreams that you have as, as a child and, and how they like give way to the reality of circumstance when you become an adult, which is all kind of like, uh, you know, we, we could, there's, there's not really anything like totally mind blowing or, or original in like Barbara and, uh, and Horton seniors <laughs> yes, story. I, we do need to, we need to talk about Butch in a second. Yes, we on. do. Um, like, like I think, just like knowing knowing what we knew of them before, we like pretty much could have imagined this this story for them. It's like a pretty classic, um, like collapsing relationship narrative where uh, their their priorities have moved apart. And just and just you know the idea that's like you know when you first get married, you have these dreams, and then by the time you sort of look around you realize that all of these dreams have sort of passed you by and that you've settled for something else yeah i i do think artistically this issue is is like probably the most impressive other than like some of the deco issues i think are a little more more like fun a little more experimental yeah but the yeah the the detail in this issue is really unlike anything he's done in any prior issue and really like he does i i don't think he ever really attempts to do something like this again no the level of black and white or work here is pretty crazy yeah the other i was gonna say i think i feel like almost that the zybox story is also in this vein sort of where it's about like at least cortez's part of that story it's all about like you have these dreams for the world and mm-hmm. sort of you know the folly of what might happen when you try to make those dreams reality 
Right. Yeah. I, I do feel that like in that issue, he's more focused on um, like tying those dreams into the overall sort of thematic thrust of the series um, and like Cybox's thematic role in, in that uh, sort of tapestry. Whereas this one, like he says, tone poem, it's, it's much more like character oriented in order to like add some flesh and depth to Mrs. Weaver. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a very reflective considering that probably there's as much first person mind bubble, thought bubble narrative as there is people actually talking. Yeah. And this is, uh, as, as we mentioned, the first appearance of Butch since, uh, since they've returned to, uh, actually, I guess there was that one panel where he ran by naked <laughs> racing Jenny to the <laughs> <Yes>. shower. <laughs> but yes, we see, we see Butch after he discovered Nirvana. Yes, we do see Butch after he discovered Nirvana. He's wearing a, I think he's wearing a middle finger shirt in this issue, or is that he's the next appearance? I think he's definitely wearing a flannel shirt. Yeah, he's wearing he's wearing a flannel shirt over a uh, black t-shirt, which appears oh, yeah. to have like a <laughs> white like a, yeah. middle finger silhouette on it. Uh, and he has grown his hair out a little bit. He's looking a bit mullety. And he's like bragging about driving drunk. <laughs> yeah, or or like doesn't understand why his mom is upset about it <laughs> and getting mad that she's calling him Horton. Yes, that's a, that's another little detail that he has the same name as his dad. I mean, Butch was never much more than like either a piece of comic relief or like a sort of more caricaturish character. Mm-hmm. So like, it doesn't feel like a big loss that he is now just sort of a bad person <laughs> no and i think i think it kind of um captures like or encapsulates the tonal shift to be like last time we really like saw this character for more than a panel he was literally a monkey <laughs> and now yes. now he's like the surly teenager who's like driving drunk and is like furious at his parents because of uh because of their divorce um and like he's he's much more like standard teenager with like standard teenage problems Maybe like a little more on the bad boy end of the spectrum than <laughs> than your normal everyday teenager, but you know, not absolutely not anything like unheard of or impossible to understand given his no. uh, circumstances. No, do you think we're pretty much have covered what we I need do, to cover yes. here? I think we're on to Clash of the Titans. Well, I first wanted to jump into the letters page quickly. Oh, please! <laughs> my my letters page perusing has it's i find it very rewarding. There's always now a lot you know how on. I came to foster such a deep love for Bill Wu exactly the the big thing in this issue is people giving suggestions for the zot movie which is something (laughs) that has come up a couple times uh the most common thing or the most common piece of fan casting is river phoenix as zot oh interesting i know it's it's very interesting uh very much of its time uh and then do you know what Airboy is uh, I I think so. It's like a world or like a like a fighter jet fighter like pilot comic. Okay, yeah, and so yeah, you, you see, I don't know if you noticed it. I probably picked up on it because it was in the letters page. But Cat uh, Ironwood says that River Phoenix was also the people's top choices for playing Airboy. Yeah, I think at the time Chuck Dixon, uh, who is best known for like grading a hundred issues of Robin and Nightwing and like all the like he was like the Bat family guy in the nineties, um, was writing like an Airboy reboot for Eclipse at this time or like continuation series. But I'm I'm pretty sure that it, it's yeah, that it is a reboot fighter ace comic in the same vein as like enemy ace uh that that kind of uh or like the blackhawks at dc 
Yeah. And then, uh, so, and then in a later issue, I'm not sure which one it is, but they go to a movie and the marquee is River Phoenix in Airboy. I was going to say, I do, I do remember seeing something about River Phoenix in one of these issues. Yes. And so I think that was just a, just a little nod. Yeah. Um, but yes, the other things they talk about are, um, let me see here. Christopher Lloyd as Deco. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> uh, Jack Nicholson as the blotch. I think that one's come up a couple times. <laughs> Uh, and then they also talk about uh, Wallace Shawn as Dr. Glass, Deco's psychiatrist. <laughs> I would feel like I'd rather see Wallace Shawn as Deco. <laughs> that, would all, that would also be very good. Uh, and they also suggest Matt Fiesel as dialogue editor. <laughs> uh, that's cute, I suppose. Yes. And then there's another one where someone talks about uh, David Bowie as, who does it say? As Jack, as nine Jack nine, hmm. uh, and and then someone's like, "Yeah, I heard that Disney just got the rights to the Rocketeer." <laughs> <laughs> well, they they did uh, they did make that. You know, movie. They did make a Rocketeer. People, some people like it. Uh, anyways, yes, we can move on to issue. What is it? Thirty one. Thirty one. Yes, Clash Which, of the Titans featuring my of uh, great covers. I was gonna say my favorite cover. I don't think quite in the whole series. We can talk about this a little bit at the end, but definitely yeah. like top top like five cover for me, maybe top yeah. three. It's it's pretty great. It's yeah. a super realistic D twenty <laughs> pen. Yeah. And then die. a depiction of maybe Ronnie's sketch or, or possibly Spike. Spike's, yeah. Of uh, of Zod. Oh, it, has to, it has to be Spike's. He has Wolverine claws. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it it does appear to be like on on graph paper for their like RPG game that Woody runs. You can there's like the twenty sided die, yeah, in the corner of a comic. Um, pretty classic. Like a uh, fourteen year old uh, tried to draw a comic like character design cover of of Zot. <laughs> yeah. So this uh, this is Ronnie's point of view story. I think my my sort of broad take on this is that he's basically doing with Ronnie almost what he wanted to do with Woody, uh, because early on, especially, I think, you know, people see Woody as, like, an audience surrogate almost, Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, he has this infatuation with Jenny, he loses out to Zot, who is, like, you know, the superhero, and, you know, Woody is sensitive, people don't really understand him. Mm-hmm. And I think he kind of doubles down with that in this story by having Ronnie as, you know, the comics fan, the aspiring writer mm-hmm. who sort of has difficulty being understood and has yeah. these sort of like what I think we're meant to take as kind of like silly ideas. But he is clearly like he's trying to. Oh, yeah. The when he talks about like, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we're supposed to understand that he's like kind of a hack at this point and like yes. doesn't realize it that he's like, most scripters wouldn't think about how Daredevil would get cut up by glass <laughs> when he dove through the window. But I do. <laughs> well, but so I have I, I wrote down the, the things that they write down because it starts with him and Spike having this conversation on the bus. Yes. And then they have uh what what is the what if conversation they have? Oh, it's what if Thor's what if, hammer. What if hit Thor's the hammer was actually as strong as everybody says it is? <laughs> is yes. the idea they eventually come up with. Yes, and then and then Woody writes it down in his uh, on his what if ideas page, which also yes. includes the following: What if Wolverine was just bones? <laughs> what if Cyclops was Greek? <laughs> and what if Reed Richards either died or lied? I couldn't tell I think which. That says died. 
But yes, what if Reed Richards died? <laughs> I believe the next one is uh, also what if Phoenix really didn't come back from the dead? I want to touch briefly on this. I think Ronnie and Spike uh, are like very, very much inspired by Kurt Busiek and like Scott McCloud's relationship with Kurt oh, Busiek as like, as, like friends. Yeah, the high school buddies who I think probably had like this exact same conversation on the bus all the time. And would, like, make terrible comics together. Well, and I think that that Phoenix bit is, like, a very Kurt Busiek illusion because he, like, notoriously slash famously is the one who, like, came up for the, the Phoenix retcon idea that brought Jean Grey back to life. Oh, really? So That's to funny. have him scribbling down, what if what if Phoenix really didn't come back from the dead <laughs> is, like, <laughs> a direct reference to, like, kind of Kurt Busiek's, like, first claim to fame in comics. That's funny. Uh, I have here also that, so yeah, so Ronnie and Spike, they work on these comics together. Ronnie has these sort of more fleshed out... Uh, he's, he's more serious about it. Yes. And then Spike just basically wants to draw a bunch of people killing each other. Yeah. Which, <laughs> which is an ongoing bit that I find very funny. <laughs> um, him always wanting to kill people <laughs> yes. in the Dungeons and Dragons game is very funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Spike uh, has drawn this comic, which I said is basically destroy. <laughs> Yes. Or it's just like uh, <laughs> people like killing each other and being like, I'll kill you, you guy. Yes. Uh, I, I also find, yeah, I, I feel that this issue as a whole, um, a little bit falls into the trap of like comics characters always read comics. <laughs> um, and like, like I, I find that it's a trend that, it's, it's maybe less true because these characters are all established to be so like kind of dweeby. But like every every main character in every comic that's not like set in uh, a universe where comics are like an old irrelevant <laughs> form of media, yeah, like reads comics. Um, it's true, uh, especially these guys. Yeah, and so I I think that this uh, section also I, I might be reading into this a little too much, but this feels a little bit like shot at. Um, like the whole Marvel method and the the like creator disputes that come out of that with like like again to go back to X-Men there was like a famous controversy where John Byrne and Chris Claremont had written an issue together using what they call the Marvel method as pioneered by Stan Lee and his various collaborators which was that in, instead of like writing a script giving it to the artist the artist produces the art for that script and then they like letter it with what the what the writer has written already the Marvel method was that the writer and artist would sit down together and like brainstorm out a plot and and put together like an outline. Then the artist would take that outline, produce all of the art pages based on it, and then give it back to the writer and the writer would fill it in with dialogue um, like after the art was completed. Right. So there was like a big issue with uh, like falling out between Chris Claremont and John Byrne that led to John Byrne, the artist, like leaving X-Men despite a very acclaimed run because they had like talked out this plot. They disagreed on like one of the finer points. John Byrne drew it the way that he thought they had agreed to and the way that he preferred. And then Chris Claremont like changed the dialogue so that like it didn't really match with what the panel depicted and it like negated what he had intended for it. And he was like furious about it and quit the book. So anyways, that, yeah, the whole thing with Spike, like changing, <laughs> changing the dialogue and like changing what they had talked about on the bus to me feels uh, uh very like referential to to all that kind of stuff yeah and then definitely there's the scene where ronnie is talking to his mom which i think is definitely scott mcleod sort of self-reflecting on 
the, the stuff that he's writing right now, which is basically like he's talking about how like superhero, not that superheroes are really irrelevant, but that has is so Ronnie's mom is sort of encouraging him to be say like write what you know, like mm-hmm. or and not even like yeah, she says write what you know, but I think what she's more concerned with is that ultimately like Ronnie finds his own life interesting. Yes, and like exactly. she, I think she finds him to she's like concerned about him becoming a bit passive or getting so caught up in this one dream that he's kind of missing out on on like the best years of his life, so to speak. Yeah, and there are there are people who later in the letters who sort of take issue with the idea of write what you know being the end all be all um someone else uses the phrase write what you feel mm-hmm. um and then someone else that it's a quote they say write what you've read mm-hmm. yeah i i don't think that scott mcleod is like arguing for write what you know per se because it's clear that like you know ronnie's ronnie's not exactly happy but those last issues or not last issues the last pages where he's like imagining his like optimax and crimson firebird comic which is like his his uh like unwitting plagiarism of cyclops and phoenix with right. himself and brandy casting those roles when he's like imagining that story playing out is when he seems like most at peace in the issue and it's like a clear example of writing what you feel like it's all the things that he's struggling to express um like to his father and and to brandy in the in the like conversation that they have where he accidentally agrees to let woody date her (laughs) um (laughs) also a good part yeah that stuff is like all on the page i i think in some ways this issue is like more an argument for write what you feel than write what you know and and in his commentary on the issue mcleod says when I imagine them being Ronnie and Brandy growing up, I have trouble deciding how life will go for Brandy, but I firmly believe that Ronnie will break into comics someday and that he will grow as a writer over time. I have to believe yeah. it about him because I have to believe it about myself. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. I definitely don't think the point of the issue is that Ronnie sucks. But <laughs> Although he does that, kind like, of suck. <laughs> yeah, it's that Ronnie sucks right now. Yeah. Um, and, and that comics are sort of this way for him to channel his feelings because I think a lot of to me at least my read of the last few pages is like he it's a it's about the sort of feeling of impotence that he has um and the feeling that he's misunderstood yeah and and like unrecognized yeah and he wants to do things in his life but he doesn't really know how Mm -hmm. um and so comics are sort of representative of like this very direct way where the way that you achieve the thing your objectives is like you become really powerful and you just like destroy people yeah um there's a there's a great line where they talk about all the forces of evil have gathered on this hellish ravaged world. They cannot be defeated, but they can be destroyed. <laughs> yes, and of course, one of the villains there very clearly uh, modeled on his father. Yes, I didn't notice that before, but you're very right. Um, yeah, I uh, to, to detour slightly to his parents, I'm interested what you think, because I was having a hard time parsing it. He very like deliberately goes out of his way early on in the issue where he's talking about how good he is at math and science because he like is really focused on those things because he thinks they will make him a better writer for comics and like bringing realism into comics. And then he says English sucks, uh, but then the teacher's prejudiced. He thinks all comic books are trash. And then we later learn that his mother is an English teacher, which feels very significant. But I'm not I'm not sure. Like at first when I read it, I thought it was revealing that she is his English teacher. And that right. what he's, I had the same thought for a yeah, second. But but that's not the case. 
so I'm I'm a little conf- like I'm not sure if it's supposed to be that he like kind of unfairly resents his English teacher because of his mom, or if he sort of resents his mom because she's an English teacher and like he's been dismissed by his English teachers his whole his whole life. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure either. Um, I think generally, yeah, that the the English teacher sort of represents like this sort of very standard outmoded form of thinking that he is like as a rebellious teen sort of actively rejecting mm-hmm. but yeah I, I know what you mean and i i i wasn't able to quite parse that either i i was like she's not the english teacher yeah I'm pretty i, I sure. wonder if it might have been like a typo or i i don't know it feels it feels to me like it would really be a much clearer and and like more i guess like on maybe it's too on the nose but yeah, yeah I, th- I think if the, the if the revelation was that she is the teacher who uh, he sees as like being prejudiced and and always putting down his comic book work, it would help us ex- like understand that scene a bit more clearly. Yeah, and, but yeah, I, I don't I don't think his mom is really like fully like against him. I think she maybe just doesn't quite know how to encourage him. Yeah. Yeah, Ronnie. Uh, Ronnie is a sweetheart. He listens to oh, Wagner uh, in his thinking chair, and I, I, I'm really into his thinking chair. I'm also really into his thinking chair. Uh, I think I just I I like I don't know. I similarly would just like turn on loud music and like sit back in a chair and find that very relaxing. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, I did have the thought I should get a thinking chair. While <laughs> well, reading this. I think Ronnie is probably the character in these, these issues who we have uh, the most in common with. Certainly. Yeah, that could be a good take. Um, and then the backup story is about nine check nine going <laughs> to his high school reunion. <laughs> I do, I do kind of like that. <laughs> well, the the like Dimension Ten and a Half stories are still a parody of like old Zot. It's also like the fact that he's like, and now like we'll put Nine Jack Knight at his high school reunion because that seems to be the kind of thing that Scott's interested in now. <laughs> that oh, that, that is funny. Actually, I didn't even think of it like that. <laughs> so it's it's yes, it's Nine Jack Knight and Max at their high school reunion, and then Nine Jack Nine like he doesn't start killing people, but like. He like he changes someone someone's watch so it now tells them their weight instead of the time. <laughs> That's pretty and funny. Then, like, I like it. <laughs> there's one part where I'm not I'm not really sure how this happened, but he turns someone's date into their mom, or he just says that. I'm I'm not exactly clear. Anyways, I do, I don't know why I felt the need to dive deep into this when we haven't been talking about any of the other ones but i mean nine jack nine at his high school reunion is a funny it's a, pitch it's for a, great a six conceit. page mini comic yeah exactly um but i think it's safe for us to move on to issue 32 yes, invincible the brandy we issue said this would be a quick episode yeah. and we're proving that right very quickly by <laughs> going in depth on every issue i mean these these stories are a lot more rich i think than yes they're all they all have that i think they all deserve to be talked about individually and they're also feel very individual because like they're all different stories and they all have different perspectives yeah and so it's hard to it's hard to talk about them too broadly yeah but yeah so issue 32 we have brandy's story brandy a character who has really not been covered much at all like we've basically the things we know about her is like she's kind of ditzy mm-hmm. and she's really skinny yeah uh, and Ronnie um, thinks she's flat, <laughs> which like harsh <laughs> Ronnie. <laughs> this is a, this is a, uh, his 
He says of Brandy, I just worship my Brandy, and even though she's flat, I think she's the most beautiful girl in the world. And her personality, <laughs> yeah. wow. It's terrific. I, I even got that. I'm a romantic, so once I decided that Brandy and I were fated to be together, that was it. Yes. Well, we love Brandy. And of course, we learn in this issue uh, very darkly that she's so skinny because she's undernourished. <laughs> yes, she cannot afford food and like eats omelets with raisins in them yeah. <laughs> like what is the joke there that like she's kind of dumb and makes that or is it like they don't have any other food no i think i think that what is being gotten at there is that that's all that's there and it's it's all a demonstration of like her attitude and how she approaches these yes. these like difficult circumstances is that like even though it's like the most disgusting thing you've ever heard of it, she has to make it because it's all there is, but she's just like, it's healthier. And, and like is trying to coach her, coach her siblings into like also having a, her, her positive outlook. Definitely the overarching thing about this is just that, that Brandy is sort of this relentlessly optimistic person because I think even she recognizes that like, if she's not like this, then like her, she will just like come crashing down yeah. because her world is like pretty bleak. Yeah. Did you take that the the phone call that happens at the beginning that her mom is like fired? Yeah, you, I'm I'm not sure to be on. I think that's actually probably most likely the case. I feel like that is in keeping with what is going on. And and see, this is a case where I think it's like his storytelling has really matured uh, as far as like her not being like f f f fired. Uh, <laughs> okay, th- thanks. But but that it's like not clear. So when I first read it, I thought I thought what was happening was that Gladys was telling her like I will cover for her, but like this is the last time, and like th- she's uh, she's on her last legs here, and and you need to tell her that like she needs to shape up, or it's not gonna it's not gonna go well for her. Right. But I actually like looking at it now. I think you're right that she probably is telling her like don't don't bother, like she's done. Yeah, especially because like this is now like becoming like a recurring problem. Yeah. And like the two, the two panels uh, at the bottom of that page, I feel like really encapsulate the story of her. Like, it's like the one panel basically in this issue where she's not smiling as she hangs right. up the phone, and then the next panel is her with like a huge grin, saying, "I love Gladys. She's such a sweetheart. <laughs> Everything will be fine." Yes, that's definitely the the constant sort of through line is that she just has to keep everything happy. Mm-hmm. She's got like her three rules that she uh, talks about for for staying happy, uh, which are remember that every mistake you make teaches you something important, so it must be worthwhile. Therefore, it's not a mistake. (laughs) Once you make a friend, make sure to stay friends forever. Uh, And then the longer your bad luck lasts, the more good luck you accumulate. And then she switches the order for two and three. <laughs> right. Um, yes. And then the, the, so the, the issue kind of develops into her going out on dates with like five, with Spike, George, Woody, and Ronnie at the end. Yes. Uh, do you, so why do you think that she does this? Do you think she really is just like, wants to please everyone do you think that she knows what she's doing yeah i think i think part of it is she sees an opportunity to like get one-on-one time with zot which is like kind of yeah, kind yeah of what she, she's angling for she does have a huge crush on zot yeah which which is really only introduced and only relevant in this one issue yes 
and is kind of resolved in this issue as well. I think it's in part, she doesn't really like appreciate uh, like Ronnie's attitude towards her, uh, like their their views on, I guess, the, like the status of their relationship or maybe just monogamy generally aren't like totally in line. And so she doesn't like how controlling she feels Ronnie is and she sees an opportunity to kind of like challenge him on it. And I do think like she says later that she was basically just teasing him and like trying to get under his skin. And I think that's true in part. Um, So I think it's a combination of those three things, like those those two things and the crush that she has on Zot and seeing the opportunity to like get a little bit of one on one time with him. Uh, We so we see her with Spike where Spike plays gross movies (laughs) for her. all she's and not even full movies. He says, "I showed her all the best parts of Hellraiser Two, <laughs> Basket Case, and Dawn of the Dead." <laughs> that's a that's that's a very Spike thing to do. It's like fast, like fast forward <laughs> through the parts people are talking and get to the guts. Yeah, and put it in slow mo for the part when his brain explodes. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, and then George doesn't show up. Foreshadowing, which is sort of foreshadow. Yes, yeah, so which is definitely just foreshadowing. Yeah. And and um. Uh, Brandy kind of acknowledges too that like speculates that he might be gay and like feels uncomfortable about maybe have like having like pressured him into agreeing to something that he wasn't actually interested in. Yeah, that's actually it's interesting that sort of even like just that couple of pages like basically foreshadows everything that's going to be covered in the next like basically for the rest of the series Mm -hmm. where it starts with them talking about like is George gay and like what that would mean and then Brandy sort of has this like rant where she talks about how like how sexually liberated she is and her awkward like non-kiss with woody which i i was i was a little i I didn't know quite what to make of that like obviously i think the idea is that like she says one thing but her actual like feelings about it are another yeah i think i think that partly it shows us that she's doing what she has to do to stay afloat and hasn't really had the opportunity to consider how those things are affecting the people who are around her. Um, like, I think that's kind of a, a like sub theme that runs through this whole issue with like, she totally doesn't anticipate how this whole night is going to impact Ronnie. She doesn't really have any sense of, of uh, how Woody is going to interpret her like very frank talk about uh, her own sexuality. Um, but I think it's supposed to be a little bit as well to show us, uh, like give us a bit of insight into how frustrated Woody is getting at this point that like he's he's yes. kind of tired of being like the other guy in all these relationships and so he like kind of tries to make his move and uh, it is not well received. Yeah and also just sort of looking at it now I think maybe what we're sort of meant to be getting at here is that Brandy is putting on this front because she has sort of been forced to grow up in ways that like i mean definitely that none of the other characters really have but like that she maybe portrays herself as being more mature than she actually is like she she can say these things about sex and sort of you know have say that she feels this way but then when it actually like becomes a a real prospect she sort of reacts in the way that you would you might expect like a teenager to react yeah yeah that she like is hitting hitting on like how mature she thinks people has have to be and then she's not really able to like even process let alone like have a mature conversation with woody about what has just happened uh and and quickly runs off with zot which pour one out for woody's story of his life truly you can see it in his face. Yeah. That's great. Uh, and then, yes, we got the part with Zot, which I think is great. Like, it's one of the best parts of this run, in my opinion, where it's basically about her 
how basically she accepts that she isn't I think I think basically what I read it as is she accepts that she isn't going to have this fantastical life mm-hmm. which is again it's it's thought as a representative of something a representative of an idealized version of life that that people might want to have which I think is also it's I I forgot to mention during the uh the autumn issue Mrs. Weaver sort of talks about it in that way how she's sort of comparing Zot versus Woody and thinking back on her own relationship with Zot sort of representing like young Horton. Yes. The idealized version, the fantasies that people might have of the way their life is going to turn out. And then Woody is like, she's settling for Woody, but that's a good thing because like her expectations won't be unrealistically high. Yeah. That also, it gets, it gets to, we were talking about last episode, like sort of why she might be interested in Zot over Woody. And I think that's a good summation of it that, Zot is this idealized person or Zot represents like an aspirational element to, to life and to love. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes. And so, so we see Brandy, she, she basically says like, I realize I'm never going to get with you. And by extension, I'm never going to have this life, but like, I just want to experience it Mm -hmm. just this once. And, and she, you know, she's, I wouldn't mind visiting once in a while is basically how she puts it. Yeah. It's the closest she comes to acknowledging that she's not, she's happy but that doesn't mean that she's satisfied and like like i do think that she is to be like understood ah, well i don't know me i feel like eh, she is happy yeah i i think so as well i don't think like i don't think the story is about how her attitudes are like masking this horrible feeling uh, i think it's more about like how she sort of has to have this outlook because her life has been difficult. And so like, she has sort of learned that the way to be happy is to make yourself happy. Yeah. Uh, But I, but I feel that, yeah, that's that panel with Zot where she says just the same, I wouldn't mind visiting once in a while is like kind of her only acknowledgement that, that like there's pain in her life, at least before, before her like big breakdown with Ronnie, that, that she's kind of like, I can say, perfection is boring give me imperfection any day any old day but like you know a taste a taste of perfection you know who who can say no yeah exactly yeah just the idea that that sort of she she accepts her life the way it is and i think almost that she hasn't really let herself like have those desires or that dream of a life like that's you know zot levels of fantastical Mm mm-hmm um, and so I think that moment is just, you know, her sort of shell coming down a little bit and her like sort of acknowledging that even though she understands that that's not her life and is content with that, it doesn't stop her from wanting those things. Right. Uh, and then we come to the her final date of the evening. Yes. With Ronnie. Ronnie and his text and his I love you brandy sign. <laughs> I just noticed that for and the a, first time. A two liter uh, bottle of Dr. Pepper on the table, a man of <laughs> class and distinction. <laughs> oh, very good. Yes, Ronnie has Ronnie has gifted the Magi, sold his X-Men comics. Although he has to... duplicates. <laughs> <laughs> that's also a- incredible. It's kind of tossed off like, well, you know. And I had extras, so... <laughs> But yes, and so, and Randy has a very violent emotional reaction to this because I I really liked this bit of characterization that she has such a reaction because 
to her it's it's a waste of money yeah and money is so precious and like needs to be conserved that like yeah this is hard for her to take and, and i think it's like a little bit of an insight into her relationship generally because we don't like ever hear about it but it's clear that like ronnie's parents are fairly well off um like his mm-hmm. mom's a teacher his dad i think scott scott mcleod writes uh, pretty frequently in his commentary pages about how um, at this point they were living in Somerville, which is like a suburb of Boston and close to where he grew up. And that when he was growing up, it was kind of like a Silicon Valley type area where there were like tons of like tech people working out there. Um, so my assumption has always been that he, he kind of envisions Ronnie's dad as like one of those tech guys. So they're like living a pretty comfortable, like upper middle class. You can see like, he's got, he's got like the nice kind of two story family home, whereas she is two months behind, like her mom is two months behind rent on their like small, like walk up apartment building. Yes. And then the issue concludes with, uh, with Brent them being on the playground which is where we get the title of the issue, Invincible, mm-hmm. which is Brandy talking about herself in a sort of sad way. <laughs> yes. Um, and talking about how they're they're getting close to the age when Ronnie's parents got married. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to parse. Like, yes, the, the, I guess sort of this is her basically saying, you know, it's almost like the Peter Pan, I'm never going to grow up or, you know, that, that I'm going to continue to have this outlook and continue to be invincible, which basically just means, you know, like impervious to letting the pains of life get to me. Yeah. He, uh, he talks about how this, the last line, Ronnie says, you look so young and beautiful now. And she says, thanks. I think I'll always look young. I know I always have. Um, and he talks about how like that line, he like lifted verbatim, uh, from like a conversation that he was eavesdropping on, on the bus. He like overheard this girl talking to a stranger who he was like, this girl is so brandy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and and, like, I I don't know if I want to say like, go so far as to say like structured the whole issue around, uh, around like that, that kind of vision of her that he had on the bus. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's clear that he heard that and like something about that really resonated with the core of how he sees Brandy of this like friendly, unafraid, sociable, relentlessly happy and like willing yes, to engage. And, and maybe and maybe a little naive but yeah. in an optimistic sort of way. Yeah. Is there yes, it's a very good ish. Oh yes, this is where we get the last uh George Green letter. <laughs> so which which one is issue twenty nine? That is uh, looking for crime. Yes. And so, yes. So George Green writes and says that that is his favorite thought issue so far. And basically says, because that, because like I said, basically that whole letters page um, in looking for crime is about, is like about George Green. Mm -hmm. Like he is the star of the letters page where everything is either him writing or people responding to him. (laughs) Um, So he basically just writes and says, thank you. Like, I appreciate it. It was a very well-balanced like commentary. And he basically says what he sort of acknowledges is that that the confusion and the ambiguity and the not fully understanding or explaining itself, that that is sort of the purpose of the comic. Um, I'll see exactly what he says here. Yes. Before, I thought you were just having too much trouble figuring out which side to be on. But now that you have not only admitted some confusion, but committed yourself to addressing issues like sexuality and adolescence that are supposed to be confusing, you've turned the confusion into a real asset, almost a part of the medium. He he does, you know, he's, he still has some George Green comments, mm-hmm. but I think that that's pretty much the, <laughs> it's the conclusion of their little 
the George back Green and forth, saga. Where, yes, they, they sort of put aside their differences and are able to find common ground. Uh, also in this letters page, someone is writing from uh, Euclid Avenue, which is a street in Toronto very close to me. <laughs> uh, and I forgot to mention that someone else was writing from Spring, Springbank Drive yeah, in London, I was Ontario. Say, I, saw, I saw there was another letters page where someone had written in from London, which of course is our uh, our hometown. Yeah, so just uh, that that was just a fun little thing. There, there are quite a few Canadian letter writers yeah. I see writing in. Like there's someone from Ottawa on the next TM issue. TM Maple, the uh, legend. <laughs> The maple leaf himself. Indeed. Yes. So we go on to uh, Zot number 33, Normal, the Terry issue. Um, another another Eisner. Oh, no, sorry. It's a Harvey nomination uh, for this one for best single issue. And the issue that I think probably when most people think about the run and especially this collection of issues, they're probably thinking about this issue. Yes, I think it's the probably uh on one it's you know it's arguably a little heavy-handed but (laughs) it's also you know i think it's it's exactly what he is trying to get at in these issues in terms of presenting a difficult topic that like is facing adolescence and then um well zot is a very important part of this issue Mm -hmm. even though he basically only appears in one scene where he sort of is the the symbol of a better world or the symbol of, you know, that something that people can take hope in. Yeah. But yeah, so it starts with this story about Harry Singer, who has, who becomes sort of a common thread in the next few issues, Mm -hmm. who is a kid who uh, is bullied for going to ballet classes and is obviously the, the gay connotations that comes with that. And then gets a firecracker thrown at his ear, which is horrible to think about. (laughs) Truly. Um, and messes up his hearing and then affects his middle ear balance to the point that he needs to use a wheelchair. Um, and then his sister, Pam, who basically comes out as gay at that point and is ostracized by everyone um, and does it in a way that Terry perceives as, you know, being very proud of herself about it. But then Terry sort of starts to realize that she has these sort of bubbling up feelings as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Slash, like, I think by the end of the issue has admitted to herself that they have been present for a long time like she talks about their friendship when they were in like elementary school how they would hold hands together they were very close even on like the next page she's like plainly attracted to her teacher well she has nice clothes she does have nice clothes uh and and she resents that uh her like schlubby boyfriend (laughs) is present or that some boy is asking her out but yes, I think I think the characterization of Terry changes a little bit in these issues. Like I noticed in issue 28 that she is sort of presented more as like a badass or as like someone with a bit more of a chip on her shoulder. I mean, like she was always sort of like Yeah, I mean the it, I don't I don't see it as totally different from how she treated Woody in kind of like her first appearances. No, no, it's not. But yes, but yeah, I think it's just maybe just that she's getting more screen time and talking about things other than Zod and Woody. Yeah, she's also absolutely savage to Jim Dorfman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Dorfman. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, she just wrecks ends him. his life. <laughs> But then, you know, she clearly regrets it a little bit. Yes. But yes, and so basically this is this is pretty much just like a story yeah. <laughs> about like Terry's <laughs> life and like her feelings and how she's sort of reckoning with her burgeoning sexuality. Mm-hmm. And her her like social status generally, because I think she's presented throughout yes. as like uh of of any of the characters she has kind of the opportunity to be like a popular kid like she has friends outside of 
the like Jenny Zot Woody crew. Yeah. And and none of the rest of them really do. And the the friends that she does have are always encouraging her, like, why are you hanging out with those guys? Like come <laughs> come eat in the cafeteria with us. Uh and she feels that tension between the people who actually like she likes and cares about versus the people who would make her life easier to be friends with. Yes. And yes, and that the idea that gets brought up a couple times basically that being popular basically means stepping on the people who are below your standing which yes is, which is a, a a pretty 80s notion Certainly. um but you can yes you can sort of see that thing that and how terry finds that difficult because that's that's what the dorfman thing is about basically that she she sort of clowns on him and that sort of has people laughing and mm-hmm. but she doesn't she doesn't like the the outcome. Yes, no, she it comes it comes at the expense of other people. Um yes, and then so this all sort of comes to a head where Woody is talking about writing an article about Harry Singer with Jenny, you know, sort of very heart like heavily encouraging well, him to do it and Yeah, he I mean he doesn't really even talk about it. It's Jenny Jenny is the one who says that he should think about doing it for the school paper and he's like extremely resistant. Yes, yes, I should yes, I should put it that way that Woody he sees that it's a good idea, but he doesn't obviously like the kid got put in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Doesn't want to sort of. He doesn't want to live up to the Bernstein name. Sure. Like of Woodward and Bernstein. Right. But also his Ooh. dad. <laughs> yes, and is also his dad. Maybe Carl Bernstein is his dad. I don't think so. He has like the whole backstory <laughs> about um, how he was like an ambassador to South Africa and got in trouble for like. <laughs> or he could have been. Or yeah, oh, but right. he, his, he was oh, like. I forgot about how he spoke out against apartheid. Yeah, apartheid. And, like got in trouble for it. Yes, good, good, very relevant joke that everyone will understand uh if you were confused by the way that david said that everyone just listen to silver and gold the live version from rattle and hum and you'll understand exactly what we're talking about great great waveform on that apartheid too some <laughs> <Wow>. big pops <laughs> some great waveform humor but not only will like you you will barely understand that joke much less anyone else uh, um, but yes these these things come to a head and Terry becomes very overwhelmed by people basically yelling about yes. homophobia. Oh, and about Can I just divert from this scene quickly to note yes. that Scott McCloud goes out of his way here to have Ronnie uh, speak very derisively about black and white artists. <laughs> he's yes, talking that was, about... that was what I was, that's what I mentioned <laughs> earlier when he's like Ronnie is a vehicle for meta humor. Yes, he talks about being at a convention and he's trying to get a sketch of She-Hulk, but says all the good <laughs> artists are busy. So I go up <laughs> yeah, to some no, black and white guy. <laughs> Oh, that yes, that was very funny. But yes, so Terry becomes overwhelmed and runs off and is sitting in the rain and then Zot arrives. Another uh, 15 page panel, by the way, in the uh, or 15 panel page yet when she is uh, uh, has her like anxiety attack and and runs away. Which is, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a good example of sort of the time dilation where things sort of like every moment becomes a panel and that sort of begins to like weigh down on her. Um, but yes, she's followed by Zot, who has, of course, because he's Zot, has completely read the situation and sort of talks about the issues with Terry. Uh, and then, yes, has has the what I what I sort of think is like the best, maybe the best page of the whole run. Yes, the the normal conversation. Yes, where she asks if people would basically if people would accept her. I need to find. I'll find a, a quote that 
Scott McCloud has on the letters page about this specific moment. Yes. I think it's in response to the guy who is being homophobic in the letters page. Yes. So so the exchange is Terry Terry is like kind of pleading with Zot and says, Zot, on your world, would I be normal? And Zot laughs and says, Terry, you are normal. Uh, and she says, Zot, I mean it. Please tell me, would, would they think I was normal? And he says, yes, of course, of course they would. And then he, he kind of wipes away their tears and hugs her and says, look at you. Look at what they've done to you. Yeah, that's a that's a good part. Good good part, certainly. <laughs> yes, that that's a very that's a very moving part. Uh and then yes, and then they sort of conclude this conversation with Za reassuring her, which is very nice. She she spends the night uh dreaming or or daydreaming about how she might go about reconciling with Pam and uh, and initiating a relationship with her. Yes. And then which culminates in this is really good. <laughs> this is extremely good, and I was uh, so like, it's actually kind of incredible. Yeah, so they, he does a trick ending uh, where the the book is normally eighteen story pages, and this issue is nineteen story pages. And so page seventeen has her talking with her popular friends again, and they see Pam coming and say, uh, "Oh, watch out! Here comes Pamela's. Ooh, she gives me the creeps." And then it's, yes, and it's, and it's also. It also has to be noted that her her daydream, the common sort of thread is that she'll say hi because previously she has been ignoring Pam entirely. Right, when, when Pam greets her and they all begin with her greeting Pam. Yes, she says hi Pam and then Pam will say hi Terry back and then it progresses from there. Yes. But that's sort of the ongoing theme. Yes. But continue. So page 18 has uh, the two of them approaching each other. Pam says hi Terry uh, and then we get three panels, which basically show Terry consciously choosing to not respond. And in a normal issue, that would have been the last page. In my collection, so the story pages always always ended on the left-hand page, and then the right-hand right. page was the first page of letters. And in yeah. mine, that is where Scott McCloud's commentary that he always yeah. does after the issue begins. But this issue, when you turn the page, there's a 19th story page after the letters page in which Terry turns around and says, hey, Pam, wait up. And uh, and it does end up chasing after her and uh, and talking to her. And just says hi. Yes. And we will see them be together uh, in future issues. Yes, that's correct. And yes, that's it's it really got me good. <laughs> I was going to say how, how you you had like no clue. No, I had, I had no idea. I was like basically my own thought was like, wow, that is like an incredibly heartbreaking ending. Yeah. That like it's just hard. Like and like and it would make sense as an ending too. Like that's the thing is that like it's not like a usual like fake bad ending mm-hmm. where I think it I think it would make sense for the story to end that way. Like obviously it's a very sad way to end it, and it's not quite in line with maybe what we're used to seeing from Zot. But having it end with like, well, she she's trying but like she can't she can't do it yep. like she or that you know she's not there yet yep. or that just that she she isn't in the place where she can do that yet even though she she knows that maybe that can change uh and then yes and then it comes back with the bonus page which is just it's very nice yes so here's <laughs> here's what how it goes uh with his commentary so you have that uh trick like the the second last page oh, so his commentary page yeah. is comes in after that so, oh, that's so he, it's, the, it's the letters page. yeah he inserts it where the where the letters page would have gone and conceals still the extra story page and writes like a basically a full column about like the his his reflections on like writing uh, a gay story basically at the time 
And so his last sentence of that column is, of all the moments from normal I've heard repeated back to me across the years, I think Zot's remark, look what they've done to you, is the one that readers remember most vividly, line break, that and the trick ending. <laughs> and then you turn the page, <laughs> and it's the last that last page. And then he's got another full, full column writing just about the ending, where he says, when originally laying out issue 33, I plan to end Terry's story with the downbeat missed opportunity seen on the previous spread. It seemed a more plausible real world ending to yeah. a situation of that. That kind, at least in the imag- average American high school, which I do agree with. I think if he was going strictly for like emotional punch, like character depth, that is where that issue should end. But he continues on, and I think this is good rationale. In the end, though, I decided that even though I'd sidelined the guy in the red suit, this was still a Zot story, and that meant that in close contests between hope and disillusionment, hope should at least win the coin toss. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, I think, I think that is sort of him having his cake and eating it too. Like you do get that emotional punch, but I, I, I do agree that it's still a Zot story. It's still, even if, you know, it's, it can be bittersweet or melancholy at times. It is ultimately, it's a book about hoping for that future. Yeah, and, and, and a, a certain like belief in the inherent goodness of people as, as personified by Zot. And so the the double especially effective thing about the trick ending in in my version, which has the letters page, is that the letter that comes before the trick ending is the start of the letter I was talking about previously. It's by David Porta, and so it it basically the so the text that we get uh, right before the trick ending is. It was like reading a Ray Bradbury story, only better. Unfortunately, more recent issues of Zot have degenerated into an organ for effete liberal notions. <laughs> Notion suggests more of a whim than a true idea, semicolon, and that's the next page. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it's just him finishing the letter being a dick. Uh, and yes, and then Scott replies, Thank you for writing, David. I'm glad you enjoyed issue number 30. Sorry to see you go. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we uh, know that he did not, in fact, go and continued to write in. Yes, and and he, he doesn't say anything about going in the letter itself. Like, it's just him basically praising issue 30 while also being like, it's better than that propaganda you've been printing otherwise. <laughs> and then he's just like, okay, bye. <laughs> but yes, it's it's a great moment. Indeed. Um, the following issue, I think we're we're okay to move on here. The following yeah, issue so. is the Woody story, uh, basically following his his travails uh, publishing the newspaper article that he ultimately does decide to write, and the fallout of that, and and also kind of finally resolving that love triangle with Jenny and Zot. I think that uh, as far as like these eight or nine issues, this one is like handily the worst, <laughs> or not oh, not, really? not worst, but. Yeah, I the least good. Yeah, the least good. Um, just because Woody feels like to me, he's the character of the group who least needs his own issue. Like, I just don't feel like I learn anything about Woody from this issue. No, I think it's more about the message it conveys than it's about Woody as a character. Mm-hmm. But yes, I I fully see what you mean, and like it's it's a very like, I mean, he talks about sort of preaching to the converted mm-hmm. in that uh, commentary, and I think that that's kind of what this is. That it's like. Nobody's gonna be on the side of like the guy who walks up to Woody and yells homophobic slurs at yeah, him and threatens which, to by, beat him up. By the way, actually, I think that might be the most interesting part of <laughs> this issue to me. He talks about how he rewrote uh, Dougie Dougie Alexander's dialogue uh, because 
readers were so shocked by what was originally printed that he like scaled it back and it's still it's it's not like tame by any stretch of the imagination in this oh, no. rewritten version that I've got. I'm I'm interested. We can talk later about what the rewritten version has, mainly because I really don't want to repeat anything that uh, that he says in the version I have. But I, it is it is pretty shocking. It seems to me that he mostly uh, just like cuts out a few f bombs is the is the sense that i've got like all the all the slurs are still present i can tell you that much and like the the part about like ripping your dick off with a rusty chainsaw is <laughs> still present right. like okay. i <laughs> i truly think that it was it seems like he just like uh excised a few a few uh a few of the more choice words uh but otherwise it, it doesn't seem to be totally changed like it's still pretty shocking <laughs> Yeah, it's it does it has a bit of uh an after school special tone for me. Yeah, that's that yeah, except except like with more language than you would ever yeah, hear. It's like it's yeah, it's just a more adult version of an after school special where it's like he talks to his mom and mom's like, do the right thing, and his dad's like, do the right thing. And then there's this sort of encounter with him and Zot, which is it just it doesn't quite feel right. Yeah, the like carrying carrying the bully into the tree and like that. Yeah, it is it it's just tonally off uh I think throughout yeah, the the whole issue. Yeah. But then and then I think actually like once it gets resolved is when the issue really picks up like the last like 3 or 4 pages. Yeah. Um I really like Woody getting going up to get the little girl's baseball cap. It's like he is now he like that he is now a hero. That part is cute. And we learn a bit about Brandy's movie tastes as well. Yes, Brandy is into Sweet November, which I'm not familiar with. I meant <laughs> to look I. that up. Um, but it ends with a naked guy and a birdcage. <laughs> so I'll have to yes. look into that. And uh, Ronnie thinks it's cute. Uh, I mean, significant. <laughs> <laughs> That's I did. I think I didn't realize that that was the second time you'd called a movie significant. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the ending is is certainly the best part. He and Jenny agree to just be friends, and then, of course, in the last page, the epilogue. Yes, Jenny expresses her relief <laughs> at having the simplicity of their relationship, and Zot's response is, "Yeah." panel want to have sex cliffhanger yes, and, the, and the, the way jenny's drawn in the last panel that's the that's the image you sent me earlier yes, right? I, sent, yeah. I sent you a picture of the panel which is just like jenny with like the most like simple like it basically looks like the like yellow smiley face yeah like it's just like two dots it's like three dots <laughs> and like a slightly upturned line this is definitely like i mentioned earlier that i feel like the art really deteriorates towards the end uh, and this is like pretty exemplary i think he was like so feeling <laughs> yeah he's he's feeling the like deadline crunch at this point and the art is suffering for it both in terms of the detail and just like yeah, the, and this, <laughs> what's funny about this is that he mentioned at the beginning of this collection that because the art is from so long ago, like he didn't want to redraw the whole comic, but he did make some fixes and like changes in places where he found it like totally oh, really? intolerable. Um, but that <laughs> that face made it through un, untouched. I I think it's funny. Like I'm in general, like I do. I I like. I, it feels like a choice the way it's like sort of more 
cartoonish and sort of yeah. sketchy a lot of the time. It uh, the this face in particular reminds me of like the the this is fine meme. Like it's the yeah, face exactly. that the dog is making. It's, like, it's such a blank face with like just the little <laughs> smile with that text is very funny to me. But yeah, I think we can move directly into the conversation. Yes. Which mimics the conversation that we will now have. Yes. Uh, as two and, brothers. Uh, Eisner Award nominee for uh, best single issue. That seems valid. Which which is interesting. So same year, I assume, as Normal. Normal gets the Harvey nom. Yeah. And this issue gets uh, the Eisner nom. And we'll we'll look at what else was on the slate for those at the end. Neither, neither won a winner. A little surprising to me. I feel like normal in particular feels like uh, an awards issue. Yes, it feels like it's, you know, it's like, it's like an, it's, it, it's not Oscar bait exactly, but yeah. you know, like it's, it's a issue about an important topic and yeah. sort of. And, and actually for that matter, so too is the conversation because there's an issue of Ultimate Spider-Man, which is like basically exactly the same down to like i think potentially being called the conversation where the whole issue it's like peter peter unmasks himself to mary jane at the end of the prior issue and then they spend a whole issue on the two of them like talking about what it means for him to be spider-man and all that stuff and that one is like regularly if you're like what's what's like one of the best spider-man issues ever people will be like oh yeah ultimate spider-man number i think it's number 13 so that yeah having having like a talking heads issue of a comic which like is tough for an artist to do if it if it works usually that is like a very recognized kind of thing and obviously the subject matter of this issue is a bit more like i guess relevant or or significant than <laughs> peter parker and mary jane processing how <laughs> him being spider-man is going yeah, to I affect mean, like, their you relationship know, like, compared to like homophobia it's not like people having sex well like, like it was, you know, the era of AIDS, but they sort of they sort of moved past AIDS pretty quickly in a funny way where it's yes. just like it's not just like we're both virgins. <laughs> <laughs> uh which is funny. But yes, yes. That, it, it feels a little bit less like, you know, a, an of the moment sort of relevant comic in that way, but yes. But yes, it is definitely a pretty uh it's a it's a big issue. Yeah. Solid, uh, solid establishing shot here where we are uh, introduced to uh, her giant stuffed bear, Marvin. Yes. The big bear. Yes. Um, yes. But so generally, like, I feel like this issue, it's really, it's about Jenny, obviously. Yes. It's it's a real, like, it's just, uh, it's basically like a character exercise. Yeah. And, and again, this is sort of what I was talking about earlier, where it's, Jenny or Zot rather is just he's a character to bounce things off of because mm-hmm. he is so simple and he is simple in this way as well which is like it's not really that in line with Zot to ask to just be like want to have sex yep although we do learn also that he's a uh, hot Zot who faps <laughs> he does he admit does, to masturbating masturba. in this issue <laughs> he doesn't quite he doesn't say it he doesn't say that's it true that's loud, true Jenny can't bear to hear it <laughs> yes but yes, and so Zot is like, Zot's perspective on it is very simple. Zot is like, well, Woody's not in the picture. We both like each other. I want to do it. So I'm going to ask you and you can say mm-hmm. yes or you can say no. And that will be that. Yeah. And it's true. Like all like in the two pages um, where like they agree to sit down and talk, Zot appears in three panels out of one, two, three, four, five. 
23, 23 panels between those two pages. Zot is in three of them. And most of the rest are Jenny silently processing emotion. With like micro expressions. Yeah. Which like, that's like a big undertaking for an artist, uh, especially one who is like feeling time crunches and who famously is like, not not famously, Slow. but so, well, and is self admitted like not really comfortable with like like normal human figures and faces are the things that he says he has kind of like the most challenge with. Right. So to try and communicate like a spectrum of emotion from a teenage girl on a face that is drawn like pretty pretty simply, like there's not a lot of detail on the face. Yeah, that's like that's a pretty big yeah big undertaking. Yeah, like like we said, like most of most of the comic is her expressions. Um, like, I feel like you can read so many things out of her. Like, she's scared. She's happy. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, I think, obviously, a little bit excited about the prospect, even if, like, more intellectually than directly. Mm-hmm. And, like, she's flattered, but she's angry. She, and, like, is mad about the way that Zod did it. And that is also processing that Zod says that he loves her. Mm-hmm. And sort of has to, like, deal with that as well. And the fact that he says he masturbs. Yes, he does masturb. She also has to process that. The panel after that where she (laughs) says we won't count that is a great face. Yeah, she's just sort of like... (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, but no. (laughs) Oh, oh, yes, that one. And then the the subsequent panel, which has no dialogue, I think it's just her being like, hey... Uh yeah, the the hands in those panels again for yeah, a, an artist work. an artist who is self confessed not very comfortable with like human figures featuring the hands prominently in a panel brave choice and then you know Jenny talks about like she doesn't un- she doesn't really understand the relationship with Zot which is really I, it's something I wish that we got into more of because mm-hmm. like it's basically Jenny being like you are a god <laughs> like why are you into me. <laughs> Um, which is like an interesting idea for sure. Um, and then, you know, she talks about how like she feels pressure because she thinks other people have had sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great joke about, did he use a condom? He's not into <laughs> real estate. Uh, and then this, this part where Jenny has not described what he finds sexy about her. Yes. Which is, <laughs> you know. It's a lot. <laughs> I think I think that that these are some of like the better uh, pages in the issue as far as like like there's a lot of there's a lot of good Jenny faces here. It's like good characterization. It's the first time we really see Zot uh, be anything like be be like active in the conversation, I guess, or like be be put into the position of where he's yeah, the one who he, becomes uncomfortable, he's sort of giving the new ideas, yeah, and has to has to answer. Um, but does admit to her disappointment, it's the breasts. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> yes? Sad? No, 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 that's what she says. Oh, yes. She does indeed say, oh. Uh, and then there's a, a, a suspect panel of her, like, <laughs> I don't exactly know how, like, fluffing them up. It's really <laughs> the whole... <laughs> and of course, that does prompt them to make out. <laughs> Yes, and so it sort of starts, and then Jenny pulls away. Yes, and then Zot has the line, which is, you know, I think partly the thesis of the issue. That yes. I know that sex without love is a bad idea. Maybe I just don't want to get the two confused. 
and then Zot goes into his box, and then, yes. as has been previously foreshadowed, he invites Jenny into the box, and she joins him there. For the first time. Yes, which is, I, I thought, that's, I think that's the right way to yes. end the issue. McLeod says uh, of this ending, I won't tell you what I think happened next, but I will tell you that my editor thinks they did, and Ivy thinks they didn't. Readers uh. were similarly split. That, yeah, I think that makes well. What did, what did you think? Uh, I think I think not um, because she has just like so firmly established that like like I think if she wa- if they were going to she would have like given in at the end of that conversation. I think it's uh, like uh, more more uh, about like how they've drawn closer and like understand each other better now and like. Mm-hmm establishing that like eventually yes but i yeah i don't think that like that is the the culmination of the issue yeah and see you? i think they did well, there you um, go readers were similarly split <laughs> well i've never had sex i'm a virgin <laughs> um <laughs> of note <laughs> i'm a famous virgin um it's but the 40 yeah. year old one and then you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'm second <laughs> yeah the 40 year old virgin is an extremely famous virgin i yeah, guess mary so, oh, mary's mean, probably up there too yeah well eventually by the time she died i don't want yeah that's I don't true have to tell you <laughs> but yes this this felt like a very like a very on point sort of representation of teen, of adolescent sexuality where it's like you want this but you're also afraid of it but you also like don't fully understand it um, but yes, to, to me, it's that, like she says earlier, like, if Zot had said make love, then like, <laughs> her response <laughs> might have been different. Like, I think it's, she wants to, and knows that. But it's just, it's hard for her to like, have that happen, like in the context of this right. conversation they've just had. Yeah. And so I think maybe like, once they're sort of like, in a different environment, and like, sort of like, allow things to happen naturally, rather than intellectualize about it that that would sort of like that would follow and it would make sense that it would happen um and then on the subsequent page after the ending we get the child of zybox and Deco, <laughs> the, the inimitable zydeco uh he of uh don't touch my toot toot <laughs> it's don't don't mess with my toot toot right. which really um, is what jenny is telling zot in this issue as yeah, well it's true um there's a there's a drawing of night it's where it's Zybox playing an accordion in a bow tie and straw boater and then says oops that's nine jack nine in deco and then there's an arrow pointing it to it saying scratch that and then an arrow pointing to zydeco which says sniff this <laughs> so that is all deeply confusing jesse jesse clark i believe is the artist it's truly a great piece of work <laughs> sounds like it yeah oh yes and then this is the issue where we get david P- malcolm porta's the porta as i call him um <laughs> it's his sort of response to how terrible zot 33 is because zot was actually wrong for saying to terry that it was normal to be gay mm-hmm. and yes this is the part that i was alluding to earlier he says terry asked this is scott mcleod here not porta potty mm-hmm. uh <laughs> that was a great name i just came up with i know uh-huh. <laughs> uh Terry asks Zot if she would be considered normal on his world, and yes, she does mean would they think I was a good person. But that inability on her part to distinguish between the two ideas is the real problem in her life. 
Sot knows the difference, but he also knows what she's really asking, and that's the question he answers. The answer is yes. And then there's just a bunch of people talking about how it's fine to be gay. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, the oh right, Scott Scott McCloud says that, not the porta potty. No, not the porta potty. The porta potty says. Oh, he says all kinds of things. He talks about how it violates the traditional values that all peoples throughout the world embrace even today. Mm. So he's a cool guy. <laughs> then he, he the ends, main man. He, he ends the letter with, McLeod has talent given by God, and he abuses it. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. The disappointment uh, of uh, of the porta potty himself on display. Yes, and also lots of letters from gay women thanking him and lots of other positive response, thankfully. Yes, I'm sure. Uh, the backup is blotches in prison. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but this this backup is called Revenge of the Black and White Villains. <laughs> this appears oh. to be Abraham Lincoln. Come to think of it, how would people know what color my blotch is? That's crucial to my whole persona. <laughs> This is pretty funny. Uh, okay, and then, yes, yeah, so we can reach the last issue here, which is, again, Zot not quite dabbing. Uh, they are silhouetted by the moon. But yes, it starts with uh, basically a series of vignettes. Showing showing the, like, day-to-day struggles of everyone except Woody, I think, is the only one who doesn't have, like, a night scene here. Yes, and so we see the characters we didn't really get to see here. We see George, who his thing is that he could get straight A's, but it's even harder to get straight D's, and so that's what he's doing. Um, Elizabeth just kind of likes reading. <laughs> she's uh, she's into the sci-fi. Yeah, we don't really... Again, like we, we still don't see any internality from Elizabeth, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Like I said, maybe, maybe three lines of dialogue from Elizabeth in the entire series. <laughs> yeah. We have Spike, who's dealing with his parents, yeah. arguing with Elizabeth, and then arguing with each other, and then... Yep. Ronnie is imagining a new character who has the power to uh escape far far away. Yes, isn't isn't can't Spawn do that? Walk like walk through his cape? Uh I was thinking of Cloak, of Cloak and Dagger. Maybe that's yeah. like his his cape is uh like teleporting cape. Yes. Um Brandy has a dog now who ha- has been beaten by her mother? <laughs> yes. Um I the, just just this great line from Brandy is no one had to tell me this. I knew it instinctively. Yeah. That's like Brandy in a nutshell. Yeah. Weird. It's like, no one had to tell me this. <laughs> I knew it instinctively. Yes. Yes. Uh, and uh, Terry is uh, reflecting further on what Zot has told her about the safety she would have uh, on his world. Yes. Which becomes, that's what the issue is. Yes. And the, the backdrop to all of that is that Zot is going out to fight crime as he has been doing kind of in the background of all of these issues and promises to be back by 6 a.m. And then we don't see him. And then we don't see him. Yes. The, uh, we shift uh, a little bit. Woody wakes up. It's finals. Um, and we, we have Jenny sitting at home at shortly before seven. Zot is not back. Butch comes in still still drunk still drunk from the night before absolutely yeah. butch uh butch is going through through a rough patch but true to uh the butch we know and love he does say if he's not back in an hour come and get me and lo and behold he is not back in an hour and then we find out yes jenny didn't show up for her final everyone else writes their final yeah and then but... eventually we find out that uh, Jenny and Butch go into the city and they find out that Zot is at L'Hopital. 
the yes. hospital. He has been shot in a misunderstanding with the police. Yes, he was. He's been shot by the police. Yes, which is uh, which I like. <laughs> this is this is what Jenny has to say about it. The police shot him. Uh, they were raiding some crack house or something, and there was a lot of shooting. Uh, he thought he could talk to them. The police. Yeah, so Woody says the police, and she says no, the um, the guys, the addicts. <laughs> uh, and they claimed they were just making fun of him, but I don't. And then the shooting started. So it's it's not really clear exactly what happened, other than that there was some kind of misunderstanding that resulted in the police shooting Zot. Yes, and it's at least at least implied that the addicts as jenny describes them like no one did anything yeah and then the police started shooting yeah it's not said directly but it's at, it's at least implied as a possibility which you know i'll give it some level of credit for that mm-hmm. so he has uh, already undergone gone surgery once they take him back in while jenny is like on this phone call um so he's he's in bad shape obviously but then the next morning, after he has gone in for his second surgery, he yeah. arrives back. He's in his superhero outfit, and he has Max with him. Yes, having re- revealing that he has in fact found them. You know, as Butch points out, he came a year late. Yes, because well, his handwriting was bad. <laughs> yes, like, this is a very like quick return to classic Zot that. Like, as soon as Max is back, Butch is, like, back to his old personality. Yeah, like, true. everyone's, everyone's like, back where they belong. But, yes, Max's explanation, uh, because it was thought that he would never be able to find Jenny's Earth again without all the information that he's deleted. Jenny asks, how did you finally find us? And uh, Max says, fortunately, I remembered scribbling down the data when we first, uh, when we sent you home that first time, had to clean out the lab to find the damn piece of paper, though, took weeks. And so, yes, Butch says, wait a minute, if time flows so differently, (laughs) how come you got here? I need to read the comic for me. (laughs) I I just like it, that his excuse is my handwriting isn't very good. And that's why instead of weeks, it took a full year (laughs) for him to decipher for his hand no i think i i also had that thought initially but i think what he's actually saying is he punched in the wrong location and or like the up... wrong like the wrong date yeah he got the wrong time oh, like he I got see. the right place but he showed up a year late because his like it's not quite exact right but because like it would have had to have been like a hundred years <laughs> in Zot's world <laughs> for him to be a full year late um which i think scott realized that and then had to sort of fix that yes makes sense and then we get us the slightly hand wavy dialogue in which Zot is like and good news interdimensional travel is now safe yes and yes which is all basically the point of this is all just to build up to this moment where everyone the whole gang george and ronnie and brandy and terry and pam and elizabeth and woody um all finally take their first visit to zot's world i guess woody's been there but you know um and then Jenny has her bags because yes. and Marvin the bear because she wants to leave forever. Yes, incredible four-page sequence here. Yes. Uh, from from where she emerges from her house with Marvin to when Zot convinces her to to ultimately not go through with her plan. Yeah, lots lots to love here. Uh I really love on the 
the page. So what happens is that Jenny says she's moving to Zot's Earth permanently, and he gives Which is her something an ultimatum. That's been talked about many times. Yeah, she's she's said many times that she plans to do that. Um, and Zot gives her an ultimatum and says that if she moves permanently to his world, then he's going to stay permanently behind on hers, um, which she ultimately acquiesces. But there's a there's a great uh, panel where instead of like a, a normal panel border, they have he has it like as the portal with Zot standing on Jenny's mundane Earth yes. while Jenny is standing on Zot's Earth as they as they argue back and forth. And then and then as well are truly the great probably probably my favorite image in the entire series uh is jenny demanding to know why zot can't let go of her world which she she says is dead and is impossible to change she demands to know why and there's just a great panel of zot smiling did you i i sort of had two possible reads on it one was like because it's your world where you live and i love you or it was just that I'm Zot, I'm a hero, I care about everything. Yeah, I, I have always taken it to be the latter. I really see this as kind of like the ultimate sequel to that moment in the first issue of like the planet Earth, I th- number 11, when he he like flies her up uh, into the clouds above the Earth to, to like drink in how beautiful uh, right. the Earth is. Right. Yeah, and he says, he says, here's your world, Jenny, and I dare you to find anything better than this on mine. And there's four billion reasons to like it down there if you could just meet them all. Planet Earth is a great place to live. I don't care which Earth I'm on. This is our home, the only one we'll ever need. I So I think that his smile there is kind of like, you know why, and we've yeah. talked about why, and I, I'm not going to just accept, like... I, I still don't accept your line of reasoning. Those things that I told you then are still the things that I believe to be true about the world. And I'm Zot, so like... And I'm Zot, yes. It would, it would just... It, I would never give up on something in the way that you want to give up on Earth, even though yep. it's not my Earth. Um, and then a, a really great moment, which I like a lot, where Mrs. Weaver also gets the opportunity to join in on this little trip. yes. Um, and then we basically have the conclusion, which is ba- which is uh, ostensibly Woody narrating, but is basically Scott McCloud narrating. Yeah. Uh, well, hold on. Before we get to that, I need to point out that crucially, uh, Butch is a monkey and he is sitting on Peabody's shoulders. Yes, he's he's like hugging Peabody. <laughs> yes, he's he's back. He's back to normal. Everyone is happy or uh, in awe in some capacity. Yeah. Um, yes, and so then we have. I'll, I'll just say it's Scott's narration. Yes. <laughs> so this is it, the great escape. Is it wrong for us to want this? I keep thinking, if there are so many worlds, who decided which one to put us on? No one asked us what we wanted. We'll be back. We know we can't stay away forever. But just for a while. Just for a while. Yes, and of course, the title of this issue is The Great Escape. And I think, you know, I think that that basically is what Scott kind of came to realize about this book. Like, it's... It's less about the world because like seeing the idealized world isn't quite as interesting as like having it as an ideal or like, you know, talking about why the world, why we should be wanting that world or why that world is important to people on earth. Yeah, it's it's uh, I've I've always kind of viewed it as like, I think it's a perfect finale because it's sort of like his his like in defense of Zot as like a comic that 
it has value and has something to say and and like in defense of like superhero comics generally which obviously are are what sparked his initial love for the medium are clearly the inspiration for a lot of the content in zot um like his love for superheroes is pretty on display throughout the whole thing so so i think for him to to use zot's world in this way at the end to kind of like you know he's basically talking about um the value of escapism through fiction to yeah. to our lives that we know that you know turning our back on the world by by like living in a, a fantasy world doesn't solve anything isn't something we can actually do but there's a security in the knowledge that those that world those stories those adventures are they're there for us when we need them and we can always take a little while to visit them when we need uh, that opportunity to to remember kind of the the hope and the um the dream that those worlds represent yeah and i think also like he's not just defending superhero comics even but also like a lot of the things people talk about in letters is how like what zot is is very different from what zot was originally made to be yeah i i don't i can't quite find it here but there was there's one specific letter i'm thinking of which is basically i think it's basically exactly what he realizes um, which is, he sort of talks about, like, these are amazing stories you're telling, but they're not Zot. Basically just, like, I miss having Zot as well as these stories. Uh, and, like, you know, I think you should, like, sort of rethink this idea. Like, you could, like, cut Zot out entirely and call the, the book The Geeks, <laughs> but it, but it's not Zot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's sort of defending that notion that, like, it's not Zot because it isn't. Like, it's what he's saying isn't totally unfair because it is very, very different from what it starts out as. Right. But it's also he's saying, like, this is part of it as well. Like, Zot's world and having that as, like, a goal that we're sort of striving for and, you know, a point of comparison between the real world and our world is, like, a part of this and has value as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's the <laughs> ending of Zot. Yes, he uh, he amusingly uh, says in his uh, opening of uh, his like commentary on this issue that uh, Cat Ironwood d- described the ending of this story as my attempt at a defensive fiction, or at least the escapist variety that Zot grew out of. A cartoonist I know said it came across more like a case for taking drugs. Brackets. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, does he does he say anything about like? Obviously, he says in the letters like I'll be back. Like it's basically the same as after issue ten, where he's basically like, I'm pressing pause. I'm going to be working on other things, but I will definitely be back in like you know maybe a couple years. But I'll be back, and obviously that never happens. Well, he does. He did come back with Zot Online. Oh right, right, right. Um, he, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't speak to, I mean, he mentions Zot online, but he, he, what he says about is it is understanding comics was already taking shape on my drawing board by the time this issue hit the stands. Yeah. I was on fire with the conviction that comics were a medium, not a genre. And yeah, he basically talks about how his influences had expanded so far beyond superheroes at this point and his interests in what he wanted to make of, of comics, uh, were, also well well outside this kind of 
range but yeah he he has like another little section that he calls life after zot where he talks about a little about his personal life and then also about like making making understanding comics and and then his like <laughs> his bizarre oh here actually here's a here's a, a little section that is going to be relevant so he says a loyal group of fans at conventions would frequently ask me when zot was coming back and i always told them i wanted to bring zot back quote in a year or two but that i had a few projects to get out of the way first i always meant it but somehow the date kept getting pushed back and the list of projects kept growing there were too many other possibilities to pursue um and then he goes on to talk about his fascination with with web comics and the like internet as a medium <laughs> and how yeah. that like really consumed the next like 10 years of his career. <laughs> yeah, which I think we will get into a little further down the line. Yeah. Um did you know that do you know about this Google Chrome thing? No. That so when Google Chrome first came out, he wrote like a comics explainer of like the architecture of Google Chrome and like how it works and it like went viral. <laughs> no, but that tracks yeah, we can definitely dig into that later. But yes, I, I wanted to read, um, he has, um, this is what he says at the very end of sort of his portion of the letters column, which I think is very much uh, foreshadowing of what he ends up doing. Uh, he says, of all the great media, comics is by far the least well understood. I have many ideas on the subject, but I also have a lot to learn. And as the son of an inventor, I know that the best way to learn more about something is through experimentation. I don't know how many of my experiments will actually work, but I can promise that none of them will look like anything you've ever seen before. <laughs> so, like, he, yes, he basically calls a shot there. He that, does. like, he is going to, A, explore the medium of comics and, like, understand them, as he said. He, he literally says comics are the least well-understood medium. Yes. And that he wants to learn about them through experimentation so yes uh, and i will say that at the end of this uh, column about his life after zot he signs off you turn the page and uh there is another <laughs> an insert of the panel where the de-evolutionary is shooting zot with his gun to turn him into a monkey and shouting <laughs> revert which <laughs> tells you everything you need to know about how he feels about the de-evolutionaries oh we all uh, love our devos we do indeed but yes so that brings us to the end of zot uh nine issues two and a half hours we thought this was gonna be a yeah, short we, episode we literally text, i literally texted you earlier today like i think this will be a short one i was like we'll go like an hour yeah and i was like <laughs> same but then well even yeah after i texted you that i started thinking about it and but then that, we really started talking about page by page yes we did which i think is fine for these I, yeah you know, these they're ones are pretty, pretty special they are so i i was gonna say looking back over the series I take it that you consider these pretty like of the three sort of sections of the comic you consider these pretty clearly the best yeah well you know I think like I said before in the last episode I think that you know just every so often he'll hit on like the sort of emotional truth or you know that I think that's the best moments of Zot Mm -hmm. like the deco stuff and all that and so I think that this is basically him like going all in on what if every issue was an issue where i was trying to get to the emotional truth of something or someone right and ended on like a powerful poignant moment <laughs> yeah he's just like really good at that and so they're good comics yes do you have uh looking at like the run as a whole do you have a favorite issue or story or like a couple of favorites um i think i i still really like the conclusion of the key saga like probably issues like seven through ten mm-hmm um, I'm really, really into, and I think, I think 
part along with the deco issues i think that issue eight where they go to the world beyond the door is like a sort of early version of not of these stories but of the same kind of like it's quiet energy slow it's trying to communicate something about the world and about life in like a very emotionally fulfilling way um so that's definitely it will always stick out as one of my favorites Mm -hmm. um i i really like the zybox arc in general um and then yeah just probably like normal and autumn like i feel like those are very obvious answers as like people's favorites but Mm -hmm. yeah those are obvious standouts for me yeah i think uh like looking back at them i think the eyes of deco is the the only story from the like superhero era that uh that makes my like top top three after that i I really like the finale i think the finale is kind of like a perfect cap like it's uh it's not it's not that it's like so great as a complete issue but i really think like those last the last like eight pages uh are are really like an excellent uh an excellent capstone onto the series that i have a hard time ignoring um after that like yeah autumn is one that always really stands out to me as well normal as you said i really like the ronnie issue class of clash of the titans as well yeah and and the drufus uh drufus and vic in the desert issue is also uh like from the color issues pretty pretty head and shoulders my favorite i'd say cool (laughs) (laughs) any uh do you do you have a favorite cover that stands out i feel like covers are uh are something that i always am like I, I really, like, I mean, like, I, I think I wrote in my notes for issue, the uh, issue 31, I think, the Ronnie one. Yeah. That I think that is my favorite cover so far. Um, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at them. Like, I really like issue 10, which is, like, sort of the, it's it's a very, like, it's where you, I can really see the manga influence. The, it's That's the, the final right, round. Right, Yeah. Where it's Zot with the ripped costume. He sort of has this very heroic expression on his face right. i like that one a lot as well um, yeah i think um the real like number one with a bullet standout for me i think it's number 15 it's the second issue of eyes of deco where it's like zot in deco vision and it's it's pretty good oh it's issue 18 oh, 18. oh yeah yeah i know that i know the one you're talking about um, yeah it's like the the like abstracted uh a uh, picture of Zot. Um, yes, with the caption "out of control." Yes, <laughs> where like the only like clearly identifiable thing about him is the lightning bolt, and then the yeah. like the red and and yellow motif is uh, is consistent throughout there. Yeah, there's I, I I really like almost all the covers on this one. Like I just like the art style on the covers. Um, like I'm, I'm just looking at number 17 right now, which is the, he's back with mm-hmm. Deco. Yeah. That is also a good, he's like, like the, he's like doing a weird thing with his hands. Yeah. And like looking through. Yeah. And there are a bunch of like, uh, it's like all the other characters faces are off to the side and Butch is like freaking out. <laughs> it's good. Um, I'm, uh, but... I'm just going to pull up our, our awards. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to say those relevant, uh, uh, years. He only highlighted, uh, his, his like single issue nominations but he did i think he also got like some best writer nominations uh let me see here so at the harveys we'll start there in 1991 he was nominated for best writer for zot 
and he was nominated for best single issue for number 33, which was normal. The other nominees, so for best writer was uh, Peter, Peter Baggy or Bag, I've never been sure how to say his name, uh, for Hate. Daniel Close for Eight Ball, better known, of course, for uh, for Ghost World. Um, Gilbert Hernandez yeah. for Eleven Rockets, which um, like Scott McCloud frequently cites. Yeah, as, it gets brought up a bunch. Yeah, of the letters a very like... very important influence on these like these last few issues. Um, and the winner was Neil Gaiman for Sandman. Um, yeah, fair which, yeah, I tough tough argue. Although like. Yeah, Daniel Close and Gilbert Hernandez, I think it would have been hard to argue with as well in with with the benefit of like uh, of, yeah. of hindsight. And then the nominees for best single issue or story were uh, Legends of the Dark Knight number 11 to 15 by Doug Monk and Paul Galaki, the incredible creative team behind Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu's best issues. Uh-huh. Uh, Hate number two by Peter Baggy, Love and Rockets number 32 to 34 by Gilbert Hernandez. <laughs> Miracle Man number 19 by Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham. Sandman number 19 by Neil Gaiman and Charles Vess. I believe that is uh, the Midsummer Night's Dream issue hmm. uh, where where they like uh, Ober- like the actual Oberon, King of the Fairies, and uh, and Morpheus watch a production of, uh, <laughs> right. of uh, Midsummer Night's Dream put on right. by Bill Shakespeare uh, <laughs> for their for their benefit. Uh, anyways, uh, Xenozoic Tales number ten by Mark Schultz, Yummy Fur. I've never heard of this. Number oh. twenty one to twenty three by Chester Brown. Uh, Chester Brown, I think. Um, notable uh for being the longtime partner of um the host of definitely not the opera what's what's her name again Sukinli. that's right yeah i believe <laughs> i believe her longtime partner and uh also author of his autobiographical novel paying for it my life as a john <laughs> oh um i think i think that's chester brown let me detour briefly <laughs> don't here slander chester brown uh, what shall I vamp about here? Um, yeah, I just want to recommend to everyone My Love by Justin Timberlake featuring T.I. Um, I sort of came back to it recently. <laughs> it really it really goes off. Um, also from that album, Summer Love, someone else uh, <laughs> okay. was talking to you about that. Um, it's got a great synth sound, but I think David has some information for us. I do. Um, so... First of all, he is the author of Paying For It, uh, but I just want to really read the headings of his uh, his life and career <laughs> section of his Wikipedia uh-huh. page. Early life, Toronto, uh-huh. 1979 to 1986. Uh-huh. Vortex and Ed the Happy Clown. Uh-huh. Autobio and Drawn and Quarterly. Uh-huh. Vancouver and Underwater. <laughs> Louis Riel and Frequenting of Prostitutes libertarianism and paying for it (laughs) those are the uh the (laughs) yes the the headings of his uh paying for sex workers is really sort of the ultimate libertarian philosophy if you uh yeah if you think about it i believe which i don't (laughs) so i don't I don't see it mentioned here, but I'm pretty sure he was uh, the... Oh, no, here it is. Yeah, Brown, Brown had a long-term relationship with the musician, actress, and media personality Suk Yin Lee from 1992 to 1996. She is depicted in several of his comics. Mm. So there you have it. Yes, uh, shout out to Suk Yin Lee. Um, shout out to the CB radio himself. Yes. 
Uh, yes. So the other nominees uh, for the I'm Harvey. I'm glad that we had a diversion for our diversion. <laughs> yes, we do. Yummy fur really, really took us off there. It's not uh, Gumby. So yes, Zot, uh, number 33 by Scott McCloud. And then the winner for best single issue, uh, for the Harveys in 91 was eight ball number three by Daniel close jumping on over to the <laughs> Eisners. <laughs> so he actually, um, well, he didn't clean up cause I don't think he won anything, but he he's nominated Cleaned several times. Yeah. It's a he, real, uh, trying to think of an Oscar a movie that got a lot of Oscar nominations. It'll come to me. Oh, so you now I'm, now I'm confused here because he had identified that number number 31 had been nominated, I think, for an Eisner, but it's not here in the 1991 awards. Maybe that was, um, maybe it, uh, it was nominated another year as well. Yeah, it kind of Hold sounds on. like uh, the color purple situation. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Nominated for 11 Oscars and did not win. Oh no, I'm just wrong. Number uh, number thirty not nominated for anything. So, anyways, uh, <laughs> 1991 <laughs> nominations for uh, Scott McCloud and Zot were best single, uh, best story or single issue for number 33, which is still normal. Uh, best continuing series for Zot, best black and white series for Zot. Yes, and, I remember him mentioning these in the letters page. Yeah, and uh, and best writer for Zot. Um, so for best story, he was up against Blab Number Five, edited by Monte Beauchamp, uh, Martial Law Kingdom of the Blind by Pat Mills and Kevin O'Neill, legendary creative team, and uh, the winner ultimately, Concrete Celebrates Earth Day by Paul Chadwick, Charles <laughs> Vess, and Mobius. That sounds good. Yes. Uh, for best continuing series, quite quite a murderer's row here. Cerebus, the uh, infamous and legendary, by Dave Sims, uh, or sorry, Dave Sim uh, and Gerhard, um, Canadian comics legend, creep of note, <laughs> controversial figure, Dave Sim. Uh, Eight Ball by Dan Close, Miracle Man by Alan Moore and various artists, Yummy Fur by Chester Brown, and his uh, nemesis, his frenemy. Uh, Sandman by Neil Gaiman is the winner for best continuing series. And then best black and white, again, some familiar names here. Cerebus, Eight Ball, Hate by Peter Beggy, Omaha the Cat Dancer, which I've never heard of by Reed Waller and Kate Worley. And then the winner, uh, another series he came up with previously was Xenozoic Tales by Mark Schultz, uh, which I wanted to get the uh, artist edition of that for some time. Great looking book. And Heathcliff. And Heath, Heathcliff. I guess Heathcliff's mostly in color. Uh, is he? Uh, I thought I everything know. was like don't aren't, aren't mm. all like daily strips in black and white except for like Saturday. I, I have no idea. I'm not. I'm not prepared to talk about Heathcliff. <laughs> I didn't do any of my research. I see. Um, but we all love the garbage ape. We do all love the garbage ape. Uh, quick rundown for best writers. Uh, oh. Neil Gaiman wins. The other nominees, Steve Gerber, Gilbert Hernandez, Scott McCloud, Frank Miller, Alan Moore, Grant Morrison, Dave Sim, James Vance, and Kate Worley. Again, a real murderer's row uh, with several, uh, if there was a Comics Hall of Fame. Uh, there probably is. I'm sure several Comics Hall of Famers named uh, in that list. Yes, absolutely. So again, not certainly not unrecognized uh, from a critical perspective. Like lots, lots of nominations, and and recognized at this point more for his writing than for his uh, art. Like I don't yeah. think anyone. Uh, he does also say in in the last comic letters column 
he does say like it's not this time the fact that Zot's going on hiatus is not related to financial things because yeah he he, has, he really wanted to work on um like full time on understanding comics at that point yeah he says that you know he he has managed to amass a pretty steady devoted fan base at this point which is so i don't think you know he was getting some commercial success as well even if yeah. it's relative for an independent creator yeah i will say uh ultimate shade here for uh for poor scott mcleod a uh, uh, commentary perhaps on how his uh his art was being received even though he did receive a nomination for best writer he did not receive a nomination for best cartoonist which is writer artist uh which mm. I think all of his cohort for best writer, except for Neil Gaiman, did because Neil Gaiman is not an artist. Right. <laughs> and I think, again, also all of his competition in the uh, black and white series <laughs> it was also by writer artists who all received nominations for best cartoonist <laughs> except for him. <laughs> Uh, so yes, Peter Baggy wins the other nominees, Chester Brown, Dan Close, uh, Gilbert Hernandez, and Dave Sim. No, no love for, uh, for Scott McLeod there. That's tough. That's really tough. Sorry, uh, yeah. Scott. It's tough to make the five. It is, it is tough. Although I don't think they have a, a strict five. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Okay, I I'm going to as, <laughs> as usual. I have grown tired of you. Uh, understandable, I'm going to understandable comics. Uh, well, I was uh, going to say have, let's let's talk briefly. Yes. So he finishes Zot, and the reason that he finishes Zot is to make what we'll be covering next week, which is understanding comics. I don't really know anything about it really, other than that it's a comic, and that it helps me to understand. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I'm not really sure how we're going to talk about it. I'm sure we'll find something to we'll <laughs> fill just at do least like an a hour. hour episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's quite it's quite dense. I think it's going to blow your mind a little bit. Certainly, the first I, time I read I'm it, I was like, for sure. oh, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, what?" <laughs> uh, several times. You can make panels that aren't shaped like rectangles. Uh, boy, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, go on, finish that thought. <laughs> I got a huge boner. Nice. Um, but yes, and so yes, he comes out with that, and everyone likes it, and I'll bet I'm gonna like it as well. Yes, it's uh, it's certainly I don't think it's an overstatement to say one of the most important uh, mainstream comics ever produced, and and pretty pivotal, I think, for anyone interested in comics. So, not not to get too highfalutin about it, but I think you will enjoy it. I'm excited to talk to you about it. Um, and this will be one of the most important podcast episodes certainly yeah. as well. <laughs> People will need to hear about the boner you have for non-rectangular panels. <laughs> what if a what if a oh, I was gonna say what if a boner was shaped like a panel? <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay, we're we're this done. This episode is over. <laughs> yes. Um thank you all for listening. Um please rate, review, subscribe. Again, no episodes have been released. Um but hopefully you will one day hear this. And hey, what's uh, what's the status on that Scott McCloud interview? I know you reached out to uh, him. Yes, I did. I did email <laughs> Scott McCloud partly just to say, hey, I really enjoy your work, but also to, as I alluded to in our episode <laughs> zero, Secret Origin, uh, invite him on an interview. Have not heard back, surprisingly. Uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think he probably gets a lot of mail that is uh, uh, more related to his uh, creative and business interests than want to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for an interview like, on our unreleased I, podcast. 
I found his email through like it was like a page on his website that was like, if you want to contact me for any consulting work, yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm here as well. Yeah, we'll see. Like I said, many creators will engage with uh, yeah. So was, like that was basically uh, non-existent what I, what... Uh, platforms with no audiences. I don't think Scott McCloud is going to be one of them. Unfortunately, Maybe not not, yeah. not for lack of interest, but uh, but just he's for... a busy man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I had in my head like, there's no way this will happen. But I had to at least try. Indeed. Um, but yes, so we will hopefully come back to you next week with good news. Uh, <laughs> until then, just keep on reading those comics, baby. Uh, to be continued. And, oh, that's not bad. Um, and also Borat reference here. Yeah. Okay, oh, wow, goodbye. Wow, wow. Bye. <laughs>